Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in. The Utah Jazz win again. Eight straight road wins. They beat Portland 120-105. to 105. It's a pretty comfortable win. They started out on a 14-2 run to open the game. And then Portland would make runs and get within six points, and the Jazz push it back up to 10 or 12. And then Portland get within eight, and the Jazz would push it to 17. And it just went back and forth like that. Coming up the best of postgame show, you'll hear Quinn Snyder talk about that. And so we'll uh, – he was a little – he didn't mind that when it was bouncing back between 10 and 17 or 18 or whatever it was. Uh, but when it got down to six, he was clearly a little irritated. You could see that when he was calling timeouts on the sideline, and you can hear it in his voice coming up in the best of the postgame show. <laughs> the uh, I really think this is the Jazz' biggest problem right now. And there may be other problems, and we may be able to diagnose them when we see the Jazz play better teams. And they got the Warriors coming up on Saturday on New Year's Day. And then they got a couple games with Denver. They got another game with the Warriors. And they got a couple games with the Suns. So maybe some of these better teams will show us some of the other issues the Jazz have and what they're going to have to improve on if they're going to have success in the postseason. But right now, I think the problem is just boredom. I think the Jazz are better than these guys. I think they know they're better than these guys. When they focus, when they pay attention to detail and they really bring the effort, they blow teams off the floor. They were clearly focused at the start of the game. Portland shorthanded. The Jazz have a clear advantage inside. They didn't take threes. They're very disciplined. <laughs> they just attacked and attacked and attacked. And whether they were throwing lobs to Rudy, uh, whether uh, a player was getting a layup, Bogey was backing some guy down and scoring on a couple of six- and eight-foot shots. Uh, they went inside. They used their height. And they made the Blazers collapse. And then they shot threes later. Now, eventually, they ended up shooting 43s. But early in the game, it didn't look like they were going to get anywhere near that. And eventually, actually, Fairly quickly, uh, Portland just started putting five guys in the paint. It's like, well, you're, we can't let you dunk on us and shoot six-footers all night because you're going to destroy us. And so eventually they started conceding threes, and eventually the Jazz started making threes. And it still came down as the game went along. You know, the lead would go to 17, and it go down to eight. And it was, it was just focus. The Jazz are better than they know it. They're a little bored. They won by 15 on the road. Portland was really shorthanded. You know, they don't have – two of their four best players, maybe two of their three best players, um, depending on how Nurkic is playing, I guess. But, they, you know, it's that was a very shorthanded team. And so the Jazz did what they were supposed to do, and they destroyed them. And now they come home from Minnesota on Friday, who they should destroy, and then a very intriguing game with the Warriors on Saturday. And we'll see if we can start diagnosing the Jazz, where they are, how good they are, how the best teams will attack them, and how the Jazz will handle it and adjust. And uh, January should be interesting. There'll be some big games in January. A lot of road games in January, too. So that was the basketball. As the Jazz pick up yet another victory, Suns also won. Uh, Warriors didn't play. Then there's the football. Ooh, Oregon, Oregon. What are you doing? Well, you're getting worked by Oklahoma, forty-seven, thirty-two. That's a weird game. It's a bowl game, so everybody's had a lot of time off. And in this case, both teams have had coaches lead for other jobs, and both schools like to think of themselves as a destination that nobody would leave, and yet both coaches did. So it's certainly a, a bizarro game. But having said that, Oregon, defensively, can you guys get a stop at all? They forced Oklahoma to punt on the first possession, and they didn't force them to punt again until the next last possession of the game. A couple times they kept them to field goals, but mostly with touchdowns, touchdowns, and more touchdowns. And the second quarter was brutal. 
Oregon gave up 20. Oregon got to score 24 nothing in the second quarter. Brutal. Just brutal. It was 6-3 after one quarter was a game, and in the second quarter, it was over. Now, the offense cranked it up a little bit in the third quarter. The final score looks better. There was no real pressure on the Oklahoma defense. I don't know the Oklahoma defense is great anyway, uh, but they did what had to be done in the second quarter. They got stops while they were scoring, and it's what Quinn Snyder always says about the Jazz. If you want to run, you have to get some stops because you're scoring points. So just get stops. And Oklahoma got stops, and Oregon got nothing. So, I think it's, uh, you know, we want to go comparative scores, and Oregon beat Ohio State, and the youth beat Oregon twice, but, you know, did Oregon slip as the, over the course of the year? Did Oregon know their coach was leaving? How much did they know? How much did they suspect? How much did that eat at the players? Or is it just attrition over the course of the season, or you don't get better and other people do? Or is Oregon... Um, Good, because I won 10 games, but just not good enough to hang with teams that are top 10 or top 15 teams in the country. Because that's the Utes now. And that's Oregon. Or excuse me, that's Oklahoma. And Oregon just can't hang with those teams. You know, there's a million different ways to try and read this. And then the other thing is, don't try to read comparative scores. Just don't do it. I like to do it. I look at it, but I know you got to take it with a grain of salt. And I think you've really got to double down and take it with a grain of salt when coaches are leaving. And you've had long layoffs and played in three or four weeks. Now, bowl games have always kind of been their own thing in that regard. Uh, I think the good news for Ute fans is that the Utes usually get better over that time period, and they usually play their best games. Now, they don't always. You know, they certainly their last two bowl games they haven't looked good after they lost in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, title game. And they went down to Vegas one year and got worked by Boise State. Just worked by them. You know, so there have been bad bowl performances, but there have been way more good bad bowl performances than there have been bad. And for whatever reason, Whittingham's always had a knack with that. I mean, his first year, he's 6-5, and five, and he's going out to play Georgia Tech, and they got Megatron, right, who's going to go on to have a massive career in the NFL. And they shut him down, and they shut Georgia Tech down, and they win that game. And that was his first bowl game. And since then, He's had way more good bowl games than bad. You know, Alabama's the one everybody's going to remember. Uh, but along the way, they've, they've won a lot of bowl games. So, can they get this one on Saturday? And, you know, Oregon is the marquee win for the Utes. But Oregon did not look good against Oklahoma. Now, maybe it's just, hey, that's Oregon's ceiling. You know, that's, that's just how good they are. They can handle a lot of teams. They won 10 games, but they don't match up with top 15 teams. Although, one day in Columbus, they did. But maybe, Columbia, maybe, Oregon, maybe Ohio State wasn't Ohio State at that point. Um, there's a lot to figure out and a lot to guess at before the fine game finally gets going Saturday afternoon, and we know for sure. But that was not a good night. The Pac-12 is not covering itself in glory. Oregon didn't. UCLA didn't with the way they bowed out in the Holiday Bowl and never played the game. That was not a good luck. Not good. But as much as you want your conference to do well and you want to bathe in the light of your conference excelling, you know, if you win your bowl game, eh, <laughs> everything else, eh, we want our bowl game, eh. Because you're going to go out and recruit. You're going to recruit on behalf of the whole conference. I mean, if you have a chance to say, our conference is great, great. But, you know, Clemson didn't, Clemson didn't get great by saying, the ACC's great. He said, we're great. And if the ACC struggled in non-conference games, the ACC struggled in bowl games, eh, you're not playing for the ACC. We're recruiting you to Clemson. So there's always there's always that. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're going to take a break. 
when we come back. We still got the best of the Jazz post game show to get to, and we got to talk a little football as well. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. DJ and PK, we're joined now by Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points, covering college football and college athletics. He's an Ohio State grad, and he joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs, or call 877-346-3333. Matt, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Thanks for coming on. So are we getting the Ohio State grad who's got the pom-poms out and is rooting for the alma mater, or we've got the highly trained professional with his analytical eye for the sport? Well, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm highly trained, but I, I will try to be a serious professional here. And like, I'll tell you this right up front. Like, I think Utah's going to win this game. Why? Why? There's, there's, like, there's a couple of reasons for this. Like, I think even if both teams were at full strength, Utah matches up pretty well with Ohio State's weaknesses. And if there's one thing we've seen over the last two weeks, it's pretty clear that to this Utah program, this is the Super Bowl. And I don't mean that pejoratively, right? This is going to be a heavy Utah crowd. As far as I know, every significant playmaker is planning on being in this game. And for Ohio State, we saw this season with the number one um, you know, F-plus adjusted offense, that offense isn't going to be in this game because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, Ohio State's, you know, two of their three-headed monster at wide receiver, they're not going to play. Ohio State's best offensive lineman, Nicholas Petit-Pierre, is not going to play. Ohio State's most consistent and probably best defensive tackle, Haskell Garrett, is not going to play. And that's not even saying anything about injuries or, or in, any COVID situation here. So then I, I, the, the way that Ohio State wins this game is by outscoring Utah and 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 uh, being so explosive that they can drop 35 points and don't necessarily need to be efficient. And in order for that to happen, they're going to need some redshirt freshmen or people who who have never really seen consistent action at, at you know college football before to have monster games. And this is a really hard team and a really difficult environment uh, for for that to happen. So I I don't want to insinuate that. You know, this game would not be a meaningful achievement or not matter for Utah because they're not getting Ohio State at full strength. Like, that narrative sucks. But when just looking at who's actually going to play, I think Utah matches up really well. I think PK's threatened to pull out all of his hair if I ask you about uh, Ohio State's <laughs> inability to run the ball. Or, excuse me, to stop the run. Stop the run. And we saw it against Oregon and we saw it against Michigan. When you talk matchups, is that what you're talking about? That you think Utah is going to run the ball because that's what they do, and Ohio State isn't going to be able to stop an above-average or elite running attack because, well, that's not what they do. I, I, th- I think that's part of it, and like the, the Michigan and Oregon games, I think were different because Ohio State's defense was punished in different uh, different ways by by that rushing attack. But but certainly, like this is not a championship caliber linebacking crew. And what we've seen out of Ohio State's defense when they're really good at these past couple of seasons is that they have some kind of five-star, first-round draft pick, outwardly uh, pass rusher, you know, a, a real elite talent uh, at defensive end that can kind of single-handedly disrupt what a team wants to do. That, that, those are your Bosa brothers. That was your Chase Young. Ohio State may have that next year. Uh, they, they do have, I, I, I think they signed three five-star you know, defensive ends in the past two recruiting classes, but they don't have one right now. 
Um, and they are beat up. Um, they, uh, beyond just Haskell Garrett, they, they've had a couple of their other guys injured or just haven't been at full strength uh, at defensive tackle. And if you can't get a great pass rush and you don't have championship caliber guys you know, up, up in the middle and you don't have linebackers that can fill gaps or make reads uh, as quickly as you need to, then yeah, if, if you run the ball well, you can get four, five, six yards of carry on this Ohio State defense. Now, you know, it'll, it will be interesting to see whether Utah can throw the ball uh, as well as Oregon and Michigan and a couple other teams were able to do in that game. You know, Oregon had a better a better day throwing than they did against most Pac-12 teams, uh, in part because the, the running game made things open up so many opportunities for them. But that's that, that's going to be a big challenge. Like I, I think that Utah should be able to expect to dominate time of possession and to be able to, to shorten this game and make things a little bit more challenging for Ohio State's more explosive offense. And should be, and the, the, the yards on the ground will be there for them. Yeah, I can, I can buy all that. I mean, that, that makes complete and total sense. Uh, but I want to go back to something that you said uh, as far as potentially outscoring them. I mean, I realize Utah's defense usually is really good, but you just look at the scores of Ohio State, 59, 52, 66, 54. I mean, Nebraska, they only got 26. Purdue, which was ranked, they put 59 on them. We all remember that Michigan State thing. That, that was, yeah. uh, and it was late in uh, November, if I remember correctly, and it was perceived as a big game. And was it 49 nothing at halftime? It's like, wow, yeah, they the, look they, like they scored on Alabama. They look like Alabama on steroids all of a sudden here. So I can't get that out of my mind. And thinking that, all right, they are missing these guys that you say. Those are facts. But they were still explosive. So if they didn't have those three guys, maybe they only led 34 to nothing at halftime against Michigan State. (laughs) It still seems to me that they're potent offensively, with or without these guys. They they are unquestionably potent. And and this is the thing about even if you're playing Ohio State's B-plus team on offense, where you're, you're facing mostly underclassmen. All of those underclassmen are high four-star guys. Uh, and, and to a man, I think, uh, you know, when you look at Ohio State's skill position talent, they are all elite, elite speed. Um, and and th- that has w- that's what made this offense so terrifying and so explosive during the season is because they could take a guy, you know, Garrett Wilson would get a nine-yard you know, nine slant and just outrun everybody and turn that into a 45-yard gain or a 54-yard touchdown. Um, and, and Ohio State's running back, Travion Henderson, who I think is going to be uh, on most Heisman shortlist next year because he's a true freshman and still ran for well over 1,000 yards. He's somebody where Utah's going to stop him for two yards, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. He might be rushing for 1.8 yards to carry into the first quarter, and then he's going to take one for 60 yards because all of these guys have an, just an extra gear that is hard to match. And, and that was even came up in the uh, in the the Oregon game. It came up in the Michigan game a little bit. But if you want to look at what this Ohio State offense could look like without these guys, the Nebraska game is a good example because Garrett Wilson didn't play in that game. Um, Chris Olave did, and Olave is more of a uh, vertical, you know, straight downfield burner kind of guy. He's not really a slant receiver. He's not someone who's going to get eleven catches. And Ohio State's offense stalled a little bit because they weren't able to um, be schedule and found themselves facing thirds and third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. And even if Utah puts Ohio State in that position throughout the game, Ohio State's going to convert some stuff. 
just because they've got dudes. And those dudes might be Marvin, Jer- Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, that might be Julian Fleming. These are our high four-star, five-star underclassmen wide receivers who are going to see some more time. Might be G. Scott, uh, West Coast guy who is a five-star recruit. He's going to be playing a little bit more in this game. Um, but that's that's going to happen. Uh, but I think w- when you're missing those, you know, not just a, de- a big play guy, but also your safety blanket, who's going to get eight, nine, ten catches a game in, in Garrett Wilson, you aren't going to be able to get the four, five, six yards uh, a play that you would need to uh, to be more to be more efficient. You're, it, it's going to be kind of an all or nothing more sort of thing. I think Ohio State's still going to score 28 points. Um, but that might not be enough if they don't get enough possessions. Their, their path to win here, I think, is winning, like, just scoring 45. It's not a team that I think can win this game 20-7. to 7. Well, certainly Ohio State averaged 45 points a game, so you, you can't throw that out there. But I, I was going to ask you about the Nebraska game, because Nebraska went 1-8 in the Big Ten. And Nebraska yep. held them to 26 points. Now, Penn State went 4-5 and five in the Big Ten. That was not a great Penn State team. I know they were ranked when they played Ohio State. The brand names demand that that game be pumped up. That was a 33-24 game, which might be how Ohio State tries to win this game. What did Penn State do to hold Ohio State to 33 points? Because it sounds funny to hold someone to 33, but that is 12 points <laughs> below their average. And Ohio State had at least a half dozen games. They scored 50 points this year. So how did they hold yep. them to 33? Um, so one of the big problems, and, and I, I realize it's kind of weird saying this for a team that averaged 45 points a game, but uh, particularly during the last half of the year, Ohio State really wasn't very good in the red zone on offense. Um, and they're going to get in the red zone because they get yards on just about everybody, even when they are not at full strength. But in that Penn State game, I, I, you, you, if you watched it, it was not difficult to imagine Ohio State scoring 51, right? Penn State turned the ball over three times. Um, and Ohio State just couldn't get out of their own way. They converted, I want to say, less than a third of their third-down conversions. They were constantly put behind schedule. They had 10 penalties, uh, several of them that you particularly costly, and they didn't convert in the, in the red zone. You know, Trayon Henderson had 152 yards in a touchdown, but it took him almost 30 carries to get there. Uh, and uh, I think most of those yards were on three or four carries. So it was a lot of, you know, um, First and ten, second and eight, third and seven, send the house. Um, and 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 uh, Penn State just, just could not convert well enough on offense. And and that and Sean Clifford played like the game of his life in that game uh, to to make it close. So that that's that's the way to beat Ohio State. You're not going to shut Ohio State out. You're 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 not going to hold them to 200 yards. Um, you're probably not going to make C.J. Stroud throw three interceptions. You might be able to get him to throw one, but he's he's a, he's a pretty accurate guy. Um, the, the trick is to bend and don't break right? and, and make, make Henderson be very inefficient, make Ohio State kind of forget about him, which they do sometimes, much to Ohio State uh, fans' chagrin. Well, you know, given that Ohio State's DNA is to be a little bit more like, this, like Utah has been over the past couple of years, and this is a little bit closer to a, a Big 12 kind of team um, or maybe an NFL kind of team in that they, they want to throw the ball probably two or three times more than they're actually going to run it. Um, and you can some of those one-on-one matchups, you can hold them to 28 points. What's the mood among Ohio State fans as far as just their uh, what? What can I look for? What can I say? The anticipation, because in, in our community, it's off the charts. The Utes are going to the Rose yeah. Bowl; it's the first time, and we get that this isn't the playoff, but still, it's the Rose Bowl. 
And is it sort of a blasé uh, attitude from among Ohio State fans? The vibes in Columbus could not be worse right now. Like I, I don't think we could overstate how significant this dichotomy is between one program that not only wants to be there, but recognizes that this is potentially a transformational like game for their program. When you were in the Mountain West or when you were going through the wilderness of the 80s and the Rose Bowl represents like this totem of everything that your program is structurally in- uh, incapable of achieving, and now you finally climb that mountain and you've gotten there, and you can – you know, I, I think in, in this market, if you want to you know, criticize Ohio State fans and that program for being spoiled, I think that's completely fair. But this was a team that came into the season with playoff aspirations. And not only did they fail to meet that goal, but then they, they failed to meet that goal because they lost to their arch rival. And they didn't just lose their arch rival, but they lost in their arch rival in the most humiliating way to Ohio State fans possible, which is Michigan physically stuffed them in a locker and took their lunch money. Like, it would be one thing if there was a blocked punt or someone threw for 500 yards, but they got out Woody Hayes. Um, and that is, like, structurally concerning, <laughs> I, I think, to a lot of Ohio State fans. Like, there's, there's a reason you're seeing a lot of people opt out. Um, there's a reason Ohio State is returning tickets, which has almost never happened given how national this fan base is and how many West Coast Ohio State fans there are. They, uh, the, the young players are going to be very motivated uh, to, to show out here because playing time is going to be a premium, and you want to get the bad taste of Michigan out of, out of their mouth. But this is going to be a home game for Utah. And I don't think you can completely understate that when it's the third quarter and people are beat up and they're hurt and they're angry. It's not hard to imagine that the guys in Salt Lake want this experience more than the people in Columbus do. So I'm I'm curious about the, especially the young receivers that you mentioned earlier, who are going to be stepping in for the guys who opted out, because everyone knows Ohio State recruits high end talent. Everybody's gifted, or you wouldn't be on Ohio State's roster. You wouldn't have a scholarship yeah. there. But especially at all, especially at wide receiver, maybe more so than any other position. Okay, but. We all know college coaches like to schedule a couple of money games, get the bugs out, let guys get the nerves out, and then they can really take off and, and achieve to the level of their, of their spectacular talent. But we also know there are guys who are chomping at the bit who are like, if you give me one chance, my, if I get my foot in the door, it's over. I'm taking over. And so I'm curious with the receivers who are likely to get more snaps, get to run more routes, and get targeted more by the quarterback, are they going to – do they need time to warm up, time that they don't have? Or are they going to seize that first chance, blow by somebody, cut back on somebody else, and end up in the end zone? I mean, the, the latter is possible. Like, everybody has that, right? And – I mean, it has that potential. They did it in high school. They've done it in practice. There's, there's a reason that they're in a position to, to play here. But then you're – I know that this doesn't make compelling radio, but you're, we're, 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 both of us are sitting here trying to make definitive statements about 19, 20-year-olds. Yeah. And even if they're not football players, you and I and God and everybody in this market knows that 19- and 20-year-olds are not the most consistent, reliable, stable people under the best of circumstances. And when you put them in a situation where there's 70,000 people screaming and it's very emotionally charged 
and uh, the, the, a tenth of a second hesitation in either direction means a different result for the play, you can't really predict it. So, yeah, it is possible that, that this could be a game here where Julian Fleming, who was, I want to say, the top wide receiver recruit in this class, he was injured a little bit, and that's why he fell down in the rotation. He shows everybody why he was uh, projected to be a first-round NFL talent and goes for eight catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns. That, that could happen. But if they haven't had the same number of reps that – uh, you know that um, CJ Stroud has had with the, with his ones, and they they feel like the moment's a little bit too big for them. And maybe Ohio State's offensive line isn't quite where it was, you know, three weeks ago. And pass protection's a little bit off. It it, it could be a very different thing. So you know, I look at this and think, as the totality of all the other you know factors of this game makes me think, I think I like Utah Utah chances better. But is there a possibility that Ohio State still throws for 406 yards? Yeah, like they they have the dudes to do that, and that's just what happens when you play Ohio State. Obviously, the better the player, the easier job it is to coach. And one of the hallmarks of Kyle Whittingham's staff is he doesn't have a ton of four- and five-star guys, but they identify them early, maybe switch positions, coach them up, and away they go, and they send off plenty of guys to the NFL my thought for you is what is your confidence level in the coaching staff being able to overcome whatever it might be, deficiency with guys sitting out or injury or whatever it is, to be able to come up and figure out a game plan and use some coaching expertise to be a factor in this game? That's a, that's a great question. And I don't think it would be Homer-ish to say, that I would like, I, I think Utah has an advantage in this department heading into this game. You know, p- part of it is Ohio State staff was already in turmoil a little bit. They just hired a new defensive coordinator from uh, Oregon State who will not be on staff for this game. Um, and that means that one of Ohio State's assistants, and which one yet, is not going to be, is not going to have a job, you know, in, in a week and a half because you can't have, you can't have that many. Ohio State uh, demoted their defensive coordinator after week three, and there's been a, a lot of, confusion about who should be doing what on this defensive staff. I, I would imagine there's going to be multiple personnel changes there. I think Ryan Day is a really good coach. I think he's particularly a really good offensive coach, not just a really good recruiter, but a, a very creative schematic person. He was, you know, he came out of the, the Chip Kelly when that meant something. Um, and I, I would expect Ohio State's offense to still perform you know, well. Like, again, it's, it's hard for me to imagine them, you know, putting up 181 yards on one touchdown. I think they're going to be able to score points. But, um, I, you know, I've told everybody this nationally, that I, there's, I, there's not many coaches right now that have a better track record of uh, performing in bowl games and maximizing the talent that they have and maximizing their identity than, than Winningham. And with all of the outside whispers that hey, this might be his last game or we don't know what, what Utah's going to be doing after this or, you know, to, or to instill within this team how much this particular game matters and how they need to execute, yeah, I, I, I would feel pretty comfortable that, that even if Utah loses, they're going to still be able to do what Utah wants to do or needs to do to win this game. If they lose, it's because... I think it's because they got out talented, and that happens sometimes when you, when you have when you face a team that has better players and also has a competent coach. Like it's not a USC kind of situation, um, but I don't think it will be because Utah is completely flummoxed and unable to, to to kind of impose what they want to do for this football game. Well, Matt, we will leave it right there. We appreciate you coming on, sharing all your uh, your expertise, and and that felt less like Ohio State pom poms and more like you know a guy who makes his <laughs> living doing this. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I try to, I try, I try to do that. Um, you know, and, and most of the time these days, I'm writing about stuff that happens off the field. And uh, the, you know, what, what, you know, if, if a Utah fan is interested in the kind of format that make their athletic department tick, um, you might enjoy Extra Points, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com. There it is, Matt. We appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Yep, no problem, fellas. Be well. I'll talk to y'all later. There's Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points, covering college football and college athletics and an Ohio State grad. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time for the best of the postgame show after the Jazz and Blazers. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz win last night in Portland over the shorthanded Blazers, 120 to 105. The Jazz have now won 13 of their last 15 ball games. Uh, the Jazz were led uh, by uh, Rudy Gobert, who had 22 points, 14 rebounds, a couple of blocks. Rudy Gay at 21 coming in off the bench as he had a big time game. Hassan Whiteside with 15 and 11. Jordan Clarkson had 19 off the bench. Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich each had 15 as uh, Donovan Mitchell missed his second consecutive game dealing with a sore back. Let's get some uh, post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Thank you. So before the game, you mentioned everybody doing a little bit more on nights when when Don is out. Tonight, six guys with 15-plus points uh, defensively holding Portland to 37% in the second half. What did you see out there that you liked tonight? I, I thought, you know, particularly versus some of the switching, um, we did a good job not getting fixated on the initial um, switch and got off the ball and just trusted each other. Um, and I thought it's particularly in the early part of the game, that was something that, that really helped us that, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have the ball stop, um, which can happen against a team that, you know, that's, that's switching like they were. Um, you know, I thought that, that we, we adjusted, um, I think as the game went on, being up uh, higher where we needed to be, um, particularly with, you know, Dame's threes. He still got some, but I thought they, were, they weren't quite as clean. They were a little more contested. And also with Powell and those, some of those dribble handoff situations, I, I was – I was disappointed, you know, throughout really the first three quarters that I thought we we build a lead and then we let up a little bit, but we didn't extend it. And that's something we talked about, like the three minute mark in the, in the third. And I, and I thought we saw that where we were able to kind of kick it in a little bit, you know, and take it instead of, you know, instead of it going from ten or twelve to you know six. Um, went from 10 to 14, 10 to 16, and that, that was good to see. Tony Jones. Coach, you guys are, are 12 and 3 on the road, have won eight consecutive on the road. You guys are 11 and 6 at home. What has been the disparity in the level of your play um, between between the two and and and, and why? Well, it's not that we don't like playing at home, and it's not our fans. So, um, you can eliminate those two things. I, I'd have to, you know, Tony, I think, um, you know, record sometimes is, you know, is, is deceiving because you, you may play games at home or on the road, you know, when your team's playing well or when you're not playing as well. So, I, I don't think it has less to do with, 
you know, the venue as it does. You know, we lost a couple of close games at home uh, that I felt like, you know, should not have been close. We lost them on the last possession. So there's two right there where we really weren't playing good basketball. And, and it showed. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, that we're, we're getting better. We're going to find out if we can continue to be as effective, you know, on the road in, in the month of January. And, you know, we've got a couple uh, couple games at home coming up, I think, against one team that um, we've played, you know, in Minnesota a couple times already and against another team in Golden State that is obviously, you know, if not the top, one of the, one of the top teams in the league. And they've demonstrated that, you know, over the course of, you know, the, this first half or so of the season. So um, if we do the things uh, that are crucial for us to do, getting back defensively, um, being the first one and closing possessions, I, I didn't think we did that well tonight. I didn't think we defensive rebounded. Uh, Regardless of what the numbers say, I, I thought we were too passive, you know, going and finding bodies on the defensive glass. So, if we do those things, we'll be we'll be better at home um, and, and stay locked in in that respect. Sarah Todd, when you mentioned um, kind of not extending that lead at times and kind of putting the game away, what were the problems kind of in those moments where you thought we could have done this to put it away? Yeah, so I, I just part of it for me is I just look at our demeanor, and it, it, there isn't kind of an urgency in those moments that that I feel that that we that I know our team has, um, and being able to find that mindset, you know, not just when the game gets close, not just at the beginning of the game. I thought we came out really, you know, on point, and to continue to maintain. Um, that mindset to continue to play with that urgency, which usually means, you know, playing with focus on whether it's the game plan or certain situations that we're able to sniff out and react to, um, you know, turning the ball over is usually a pretty big indicator of that, um, you know, as is transition defense. So those two things go together and, those generally are, are things that, you know, are, you know, the cause, you know, of those runs. And all it takes is a couple of turnovers and a couple of easy baskets. And all of a sudden, you know, the, it's a small margin um, that we're talking about. So you just have to continue to lock in during those moments and, and make each possession more important um, to create that because, you know, you either give a team, you know, life or, you know, by by extending the lead, you make it much more difficult for them to continue to compete on the level that, that they need to to come back. Last question, Ben Anderson. Quinn, you have five or six guys this year that look like they're getting, you know, decent opportunities in the post. How have you felt about that evolution of the team's offense and, and what does it offer you? Well, I, I think, you know, we, we've been able to find Rudy and Hassan, um, you know, deep. You know, they've fought for position as opposed to fighting for position just on the block or off the block. They're really using their height, particularly when people switch and pick and roll and not stopping, 
you know, at the dots and calling for the ball. And there's, there's usually people behind them. They're, they're fighting for the rim as, as I've liked to, to describe it for them. If they fight for the rim and they get deep, I think their size really becomes a factor and it's just much easier to find an angle to pass the ball to them. So I think we're doing a better job, both, you know, them fighting for the rim and, you know, us making those reads quickly and, you know, making that high pass as opposed to just a post pass. Um, and then the other two guys, you know, Boyan, particularly, I think, you know, when he's got a mismatch situation, um, you know, has been efficient on the post. We saw that last year as well. And, you know, Rudy Gay, I think, you know, you could point to and um, we're trying to, to take advantage of, of what for him is, you know, usually a mismatch with his height, regardless of who's guarding him. If we can force a switch, you know, that's fine. But, you know, he's capable of, of scoring over, over size in the post too, because he's usually bigger than the guy that's guarding him. And, you know, he has the ability to rise up and, you know, make that little mid-range jump shot, whether it be over the top of somebody or to spin off him. So um, I think one of the things that, that you know, that, that our bigs are doing, and you can credit – um, you know, Rudy Gobert for this is just he's been stronger with the ball. He's been more patient and making sure he gets the catch and worrying about scoring after he gets the catch. And as a result, you know, I think he's he's getting to the line even more. And then, you know, with, with Rudy Gay, um, you know, he's a really willing passer out of the post. So, um, you know, playing through the post becomes a much more uh, productive thing for us to do. And, you know, that's why we're doing it. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder as his team won 120 to 105. Let's now get some uh, player sound for you. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. Hey, Rudy. So um, Quinn was mentioning the things that he liked about the game tonight, and then he mentioned that he felt like there were times where the team's demeanor was not where it needed to be. Like there were opportunities to kind of extend the lead more than you guys did to maybe put the game away earlier. Um, do you agree with that? And, and if so, what can kind of be done about that? Definitely. You know, I think there's a few times when we, we obtain and, uh, you know, when you obtain, it can go either way. You can either get up, uh, 15, 20, or you can let them come back and get the lead to, to five and then it's a, it's a ball game. So, you know, I, I thought there was a few stretches when we, we let them uh, get too many offensive rebounds, uh, a few stretches when we could have fouled uh, to stop the break and we didn't. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's on us to, to keep uh, uh, being aware of those moments when we have 10 and, you know, and if we, if we lock in even more, we can get up 20 and then, you know, it's, uh, it's much more likely that we're going to win this game. And, uh, and also we, it's, it's those moments when we have to, very much put our foot on the throat and and uh, and demoralize the, the the other team. So it's, I think we, yeah, we get there. You know, obviously it's 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 a big win, but it's great that we, in every win, you know, there's they stuff that you can you can do better, and uh, you know, and there's stuff that you you learn from. So tonight was a great example of that. Andy Larson. Rudy Quinn was also saying that he, he felt you kind of slowing down a little bit more when you receive the ball this year down low. Is it, you know, kind of focusing on the catch and then focusing on scoring later? A, is that something you agree with? And B, kind of what's the process been in order to get there? 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable and, you know, my teammates uh, trust me, you know, and trust me to make the right play inside and and, uh, and feed me the ball, you know. Uh, you know, it's almost like the more I get the ball, the more comfortable I get. And uh, obviously I've been putting a lot of work, you know, this summer and and, and even this year. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always great for me to, to get those opportunities and, you know, try to make the right play, uh, either finishing at the rim or finding my, my teammates open in the, behind the three. Tony Jones? Uh, Rudy, uh, why have you guys been able to play so well on on the road this season and string together so many good games? What have you guys done differently on the road? I don't know. Uh, I think maybe the guys that uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I think you know we we take every game as a as an opportunity to get better. And you know, I feel like when you win on the road, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a different feeling when than when you win at home. You know, it's uh, you you kind of uh, on a mission. You know, it's you have we have the mentality when you you know you want we fly together, we have same we in the hotel together, and, and then we get to the game. It's always uh yeah, it's more of a feels like more like a mission, and and maybe sometimes you know when we are home, uh, we get a little more distracted, and we're not as good. So it's uh, we gotta find a way to. Uh, take more advantage, you know, obviously of the of the home court and uh, find a way to be fresher at home because we, we look fresher on the road for some reason. And, you know, for <laughs> most of the teams in NBA, it's not the case. So uh, I think we're going to be all right. But it's true that, yeah, we we do feel, we do look fresher on, on the road <laughs> for some reason. Sarah Todd? Rudy, can you just tell me how important the bench was and what you saw out of those guys tonight? I mean, they, they were huge, you know, and, and that's why, you know, having a having a good bench is so important in this league. There's, there's a lot of games that, you know, uh, our bench is winning for us just because of the, obviously the level of talent that we have, but the, the, the focus and, and, you know, the way guys are able uh, to come in the game and impact the game their own way, you know, Hassan, Jordan, uh, Joe, when he's, when, he's, when he's not starting, really gay, even Trent, you know, all those guys that come in the game and, and really uh, are able to, to, to impact the game in a big way. And, you know, and at the end of the game, you know, it's a, it's a huge difference. And in, in the playoffs, uh, you know, it's, uh, we saw it over the last few years. You know, all the teams that win the championship are, are teams that have a, uh, a good bench. You know, and it's, it's key for us. There's Rudy Gobert. Nice night from Rudy. 22 points, 14 boards, a couple of block shots. He and Hassan Whiteside were both good. In fact, let's go ahead and hear from Hassan. When it comes to the, the playoffs, how important is it to have a bench that can score kind of at a high level like you guys were able to tonight? I'm very important. You know, I def I def played a big role in today's game. You know, I think everybody played well. We just moved the ball and we played jazz basketball. Andy Larson. Son, you've seen this Blazers team up close and now get, getting the chance to play against them. I know they're shorthanded, but I kind of what are your thoughts on kind of where they are as a team right now? And, you know, I, I, what they can do or kind of how you, how you feel about that? Um. I don't even know, you know, um, it's a different it's a different coaching staff here. 
since I was here, you know, it's a whole different team. I might have played with like three of those guys over there. You know, it's a um it's a, it's a whole different Blazer team, you know, and um I don't really know what direction they want to go. Eric Walden. Hey, Hassan. So after the game, Q was talking about all the things you did well and then said maybe the one downside to the game tonight was that you guys maybe had opportunities to put them away a little earlier and, and the focus maybe kind of drifted. Where do you see like areas where, where you guys can maybe do a little better in terms of uh, putting opponents away sooner? Um, I'm just, I wish I'd have made more free throws. You know, this was probably like my toughest free throw night, you know, um, I think we could have shot better from a free throw line as a collective. I think we missed 12 free throws. Um, we could have shot a little better, you know, but um, at the end of the day, you want to learn through the wins. You know, we went in, so you want to learn through that at least. That's Hassan Whiteside, 15 points, 11 rebounds, had a block shot as well as he continues to be very, very good. Let's finish things up with Rudy Gay. Hey, Rudy. Uh, just wondering, can you uh, give us your thoughts on some things that you liked from what the team did tonight, just with everyone kind of stepping up without Don, and then uh, also some areas where you think there maybe is still room for improvement. Yeah, defensively, we move the ball around. We um, help each other out on the offensively and, and well, defensively, and uh, just play well together. We knocked down, well, you know, for the most part, a couple guys knocked down shots, but the bigs really came in, came in handy tonight. There's Rudy Gay, brief but on point. 21 points for Rudy coming in off the bench. Six boards, had an assist as well. Up next, the Jazz will uh, return home. They take on the Timberwolves at Vivint Arena coming up tomorrow night. That game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 6. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Three seconds left. Outlets to Clarkson. One long dribble in front. Dunks it with point three. Left hand drive, but into traffic. Keeps it alive. Now gets by the defense and scoops and scores. Beautiful move by Jordy Clarkson. He just stalled for a second. Everyone thought the engine was off, but it had a turbo burst left. Rudy Gay, corner three. Good. And Rudy Gay's got 17 points on seven of eight shooting. And the Jazz are back up by 12. Clarkson into lane. Hangs. Gives to Gobert. Packed it with two hands. Rock the Casbah, Rudy Gobert. Very comfortable, and my teammates trust me, you know, and trust me to make the right play inside and feed me the ball. It's almost like the more I get the ball, the more comfortable I get. Obviously, I've been putting a lot of work, you know, this summer and, and, and even this year, so it's uh, great for me to, to get those opportunities and, you know, try to make the right play, either finishing at the rim or, or finding my, my teammates open in the, behind the tree. There's Rudy Gobert after he helps the Jazz beat the Blazers, make it eight straight road wins. Gobert led the way with 22 points, 14 rebounds, and he did have one especially nice spin move in the middle of the paint there, and he spun back to the right and shot it quick and beat the help defender coming over and got the layup. Ooh, ah. He also had a lot of, hey, guess what? I'm six inches taller than you guys. Throw me a lob and I'll dunk it. Thought the Jazz came out absolutely focused on using their size advantage, going right at the Blazers. They build a 14-2 lead. Layups, dunks, 
And a little bit of uh, the six to eight foot back in mini jump shot out of bogey. Then for some reason they went away from that and let the Blazers back in the game. And that was the story over and over, at least a half dozen times. Stretch that lead to 17, watch it go down to single digits. Stretch that lead to 15 or 16, watch it go down to single digits. It happened over and over and over. To the point Quinn commented on the postgame show, and I think it comes down to one thing. The Jazz just get bored. It's how they lost games at home. They get bored. They don't pay attention to details. They don't bring the same focus and energy. And the other team makes a run and gets them. Because the Jazz have clearly been good enough to win these games uh, that they've lost at home. And they were clearly good enough to, at times, you're thinking, well, they're going to beat Portland by 30. And you don't get anything for beating Portland by 30. Maybe a little bit of satisfaction past the imaginary eye test that we all talk about. Well, there actually is no eye test. PK. Yeah. The Jazz take down the Blazers, the shorthanded Blazers, missing half their roster, two of their best three or four players. Do you take anything from that? Yeah, I was surprised that Lillard uh, waited until five minutes left in the game to get a technical. I would have gotten one much earlier to get the heck out of there. <laughs> Send me home. Yeah. He and, uh, he and Powell both had 32 points, and after that, it got pretty hard for the Blazers to score. Nance was the only other guy in double figures. So the Jazz are off tonight, and then they play the Timberwolves tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. And they'll go back-to-back at home Friday and Saturday with the Wolves and the Warriors. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Rebound Gibson. Big board to Burks for three. Knocks it down. Alec Burks with 31. Morris, couple of jab steps, drives to his right, all the way to the right block, turns around, fades away. Oh, Marcus Morris. Bullseye. Bain down the lane, kicks left sideline. Morant's open three on the way. Ring it up. Put three more on the board. John Morant with his sixth triple of the night. Bain now comes back the other way. Gets it out on top. Booker for three. Shazam! Here's Barnes. Ball fake. Inbounds to Fox. Fox going to drive it. Finds the seam. Feeds a bullet to the corner. Three for the win on the way. It's good! It's knocked down by Chemezi Metu. And it's pandemonium at Golden 1 Center. A scene that we haven't seen in like forever. With Kings fans jumping up and down. Arms extended. Kings win it at the horn. 95-94. Chemezi Metu. Kings with a dramatic finish to pick up the win. They beat the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, You also heard the highlights there as Alec Burks went off for 34 points and the Knicks beat the Pistons. But PK, I think for most Jazz fans, it's basically a three-team league at this point. Tell me what the Jazz did. Tell me what the Warriors and Suns did. And the Suns got the easy win over the Thunder. 115-97, Devin Booker having a big night with 38 points. Yeah, I would say for me too. Also, tell me what BYU did. In the NBA? Well, what the uh, BYU guys are doing in the NBA. Okay. Yeah. How'd Jimmer do? <laughs> He's not in the NBA. He's not? Oh, what a joke. I mean, everybody else is. Why isn't he? <laughs> it's only a matter of time. The countdown is on. So watching those Blazers guys, man, I'm, I'm not sure I knew who Half most the of those team dudes was, were. Right? Yeah. Yeah, really? Who's this guy? You know who John Moran is? He went for 41. You know who LeBron is? He went for 37. And the Grizzlies beat the Lakers, 104-99 in L.A. 
Well, Moran is a young, spectacular player, and I like what Fisdale, he's been the acting coach with Vogel being in the protocol, said the other day. Uh, he basically apologized to LeBron. We don't have a good enough team around you, but you, what's today, the 29th? Uh, I think tomorrow. Oh, is today the 30th? Today's the 30th. Oh, yeah, today's LeBron, I think it's his birthday today. He's 37 years of age. I mean, this he's just incredible. To, to do what he's doing at his age is just, I don't know if it's necessarily completely unprecedented, but if not, it's close to it. And unprecedented is the word of the month here in our community, obviously, uh, with the unprecedented Kalani and uh, Danny Ainge and, and what LeBron's doing is just absolutely marvelous. I mean, the team isn't any good, obviously, but he, at 37 years of age now, is just sensational. Lakers are 17-19. and 19. They're now two games under 500, which is still good for seventh in the West. The West, there have been years where the West is very deep, and this is not one of those years. A lot of injuries, a lot of teams, and once you get down into the 5-6-7 range, everybody's around 500, give or take a game or two. Well, depth always gets reduced in the playoffs anyway, doesn't it? Yes, it does, but that wasn't what I was getting at, but thank you, PK. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, it's just, just, I'm a little off my game this morning. I'll rally. Ricky Rubio undergoing an MRI, confirmed he tore his ACL in his left knee Tuesday. He is done for the year, and then we'll see how it impacts the start of next season. But he's, he's certainly out for the year. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. You want to know how BYU did? They won, PK. It's a good thing Gideon George came off the bench with 17 points. BYU avoids what could have been a disastrous defeat to Westminster, but they win 65-53. And a lot of guys who you would think would score, especially against Westminster, Loner was shut out. Torrey coming off that uh, massive 19.13 rebound game, had four points and five boards, looked pretty ordinary. Barcelo didn't shoot it very well. Three of nine, didn't get to double figures. He finished with nine points. But Gideon George gave him 17, and they got the win. I think if you look back historically over the years, though, the Cougars have always struggled with Westminster. Thanks, PK. <laughs> Their two-game series history. <laughs> he didn't say you had to look back over a lot of history. <laughs> or two years. I mean, anytime you get to close up to the hill, those two, throw the records out. Utah State opens Mountain West Conference play by losing to Air Force 49-47. Man, do you have flashbacks when you hear that score, PK? A lot of trips to Air Force, a lot of games uglied up. First team to 40 wins. Right, yeah. I mean, that tends to be the case over there. The, the, the more things change, the more things they stay the same, right, with the academy and their their type of players and their style of play. I got to say, I was surprised. It's, it's, it's disappointing because Utah State, I mean, they haven't been as surprising as their football team because obviously they weren't nearly as bad as their football team was last year. Uh, but, you know, I, I was encouraged by watching them play several times in the non-conference. So I'm thinking, wow, they got a nice opportunity to go 1-0 and zero and pick up a road win, and then they don't. Justin Bean, 18 points, 10 rebounds. He gets it done. And when they were down pretty big, because 8 points feels like 18 when you're playing Air Force and they're slowing everything down, Bean was the guy who got him back into the game with a couple of buckets. But not enough. They come up short 49-47 and lose their Mountain West conference opener. BYU's conference opener at Portland Saturday postponed the pilots pausing team activities due to COVID. 
Why not just give him the win? It's Portland. <laughs> we weren't going to win anyway. Here you go. <laughs> You've got to go into the beehive. It's the Child Center. Come on. Say, Didn't they play say. a triple OT game up there like five years ago? And there's a famous quote from TJ Haas uh, that lives yeah. on from that yes, arena. Right. He gets up off the floor. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I would think, too, that, that now that I look at it, no. If you even get a response from anyone in Portland, consider that a win. So you don't want to shut them, have them shut the F up. Just the fact that somebody said something indicates somebody actually cares about Portland basketball. That would be awesome if Barcelo, whenever they go up there, Barcelo's dribbling up court. Will someone say something as he dribbles up court? I need some crowd noise. What? Shut the F up! Okay. Of course, I thought that was a bunch of listeners talking to me. Heyo! Utes! Back into Pac-12 play. Now, you may have forgotten, but the Pac-12 played two games early in December. Uh, well, each team in the Pac-12 played two games early in December. And the youth split them. They're 1-1, one and one, and they are going to Oregon State. And Oregon State has been awful. 2-10. and 0-2 in conference. That game's on the Pac-12 network. Shocked ESPN and FS1 didn't want that one. Uh, that game will be on the Pac-12 network tonight with 2-10 and 10 Oregon State hosting the Utes. Whack well, play. Oh, go ahead. Opportunity, obviously, there for Utah to get off to a good start. Well, not – yeah, they've already been. You're right. At 1-1. One one. Get off to a better start, then. Put it that way. There are some teams struggling, and we assume that Craig Smith will have better teams going forward when he's had a chance to recruit there and mine the transfer portal a little more. But there is a chance to get into the middle third of the league this year. Uh, the top of the league is clearly out of reach, but the bottom of the league isn't very good. There's some teams to beat to get into the, the middle of the league here, and Oregon State's one of those teams. Yeah, I don't think the middle of the league is very good. If, if Oregon State is a middle-of-the-league team at 2-10, and 10, They're not. your league your league sucks. This is how you beat the bottom and you get to the middle. Uh, yeah, I see no reason why. I mean, as you say, it's, uh, uh, what, uh, the two L.A.s in Arizona, and that's it. After that, it looks wide open. Normally, you would throw Oregon in there, but how unimpressive has Oregon been? Well, I mean, right now, these are the glory days in Eugene. Just <laughs> which, which team is worse, football or basketball? Uh, if you've been jealous of Oregon's money and success, now is the time to focus on, on Duck Athletics. Get the duck out of here. Hey-o! <laughs> Uh, whack play. UVU opens conference at Abilene at home against Abilene Christian. They'll play in Orm at six o'clock. Dixie State is home playing Tarleton State. It's going to be hard to get used to the new whack. Couldn't name it for a million bucks. I'm going to have to get on that. I really think Abilene Christian should rename itself and call it Maybelline, and you can play the Chuck Berry tune. Maybelline. You got an opportunity to get some separation there. Big Sky, Sac State's at Southern Utah. Weber State has made the trip to Bozeman. They're taking on Montana State. Both those games on ESPN+, Plus, as are the WAC games. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Yeah, well, thanks for letting me clarify that. I don't, I wouldn't rule that out. You know, I think that I'm just enjoying this season for this season. And I think there's playing next year is, will definitely be in the thought process. Um, one of the things that, that obviously, and you and I have talked about this over the years, wanting to, to not be a bum, per se, on the way out and, and to still be able to play, I think is important to me. Uh, if this year has taught me anything, is that, um, you know, I still can't play. I still have a love for the game. I'm still super competitive and, 
and still enjoy the the, the, uh, the process of the week. I miss practice and it's tough to not be out there week after week now, but um, I still do love competing and I love being out there. Well, then why in the world would you retire? That makes no sense. But we just get Aaron Rodgers press conferences and then he says stuff and everybody reacts and he gets attention and whatever. That's his, isn't that his weekly show with the, what's the dude who does the show with the muscle shirt? What's his name? Uh, the former punter. Pat McAfee. Thank yeah, there you go. There you go. This yeah, was yeah, in yeah. a media session, though. Oh, was it? Okay. I believe so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it, he's, Aaron Rodgers, I think, had a perfect score on one of those standardized tests coming out of high school. So guys like him, they've got to talk. I mean, they're just too smart not to. So if he's asked a question, even though he's a little bit of a drama queen, if he's asked a question, he usually gives you a deep answer. Well, he does look really good playing football. He isn't practicing, so why the heck retire? I mean, I can appreciate that he doesn't want to hang on at the end and you know be the 27th best quarterback in the NFL. No, I mean, but right no now he's that. at the top of his game. I mean, they they win. They're the one seed. They're they're in position now. They just got to finish it off here, and then we'll see if they can get back to the NFC title game for the third straight year, and he's at the top of his game, and they've been really good for a while, so. I know. Brady said, shut up, kid. (laughs) You youngsters. You're so immature. (laughs) Wait till you're 45. Niners quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo telling reporters he definitely has a chance to play against the Houston Texans Sunday night, despite a reportedly sprained ligament and fractured bone in his right thumb. That would be the thumb he helps throw the ball with. Doesn't sound great to me. He didn't look great last week. I say anybody who watched his, him last Thursday. Had his general manager liking a tweet. It was a mistake. It had to be. He had to have been looking at the tweet like, what's the public saying, and then sit on his phone. I mean, you couldn't really be an NFL gym and like that tweet and think that would be a good idea. Could you? Okay, did he like the tweet, even though it was a mistake that he liked it? Yeah, I don't know how what to what level they have faith. I mean, obviously they drafted the next good young quarterback, so they just view him as kind of a B-level quarterback. Hey, maybe he can get us to the playoffs, but we're not going to win the Super Bowl with this guy. Although they've been to a Super Bowl recently. Seahawks star, former Utah State Aggie standout Bobby Wagner admitted that his future in Seattle is in question, despite racking up incredible numbers. 170 tackles so far this season, just five away from setting the NFL record for tackles in a single season. Wagner is set to count $20 million, $20.35 million to be exact. Against Cap next year, the franchise could be on the verge of just hitting reset, blowing everything up, clearing cap room, and obviously there would be takers for Bobby Wagner. But he has been a fixture in Seattle. But where they are, maybe they just want to start over. Maybe. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. First and 10 from the 16. Handoff Brooks again. Sweeping left. Puts his foot on nice. the ground. Cuts it up. He's to the 10. He's to the 5. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Kennedy Brooks, 16 yards. Caleb Williams, he's got it. Back to pass. Looking left. Lobs end zone for Stoops. He caught it. He caught it. Drake Stoops touchdown with Bob Stoops on the sidelines. You gotta be kidding me. What a moment. That was stupendous.
Williams going to hand it to him again. Comes near side, cuts it up. 25 20. What a move down the sidelines. Kennedy, 5 10. Touchdown. Kennedy Brooks into the end zone from 29 yards out. And Oklahoma. 47 32 winners over Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. They scored 24 unanswered in the second quarter, and that was the end of that game. Oklahoma scoring on eight straight possessions after punting on the first one. The Oregon defense never showed up. The Oregon offense showed up after halftime when it was too late to do anything but make the score a little more respectable. Never got them back in the game because Oklahoma went through that defense with no problems, PK. Yeah, it was beautiful to see. (laughs) You don't care about that Pac-12 pride, huh? The conference has got to make a name for itself. Win important games. Uh, yeah, I, the team's bowl records, uh, just their conference's bowl records, that's something that announcers have always talked about. And it's like you, you, the hometown team, uh, the, the color guy says, well, you got to get off to a fast start. I mean, you can count on it. Well, what does it mean? The SEC's uh, struggling. Does that mean the SEC's a bad league? Yes. Uh, horrible. That don't make no sense if you ask me. Clemson beat Iowa State 20-13 in the old Cheez-Its Bowl. A pass deflected in the air, swatted, but not towards the ground. A bizarro play that gets returned into pick six ends up being the difference in the game. Dabo Sweeney's won 150 games now as a football coach, and Clemson has another 10-win season, and they knock off Iowa State 20-13. 11 straight 10-win seasons for those guys. And Maryland blew out Virginia Tech 54-10. More games today. Early kickoffs. While we're still on the air, North Carolina and South Carolina will meet in Charlotte in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. That game's going to kick off at 9.30 this morning. And then there will be football all day long. Football. Wisconsin and Arizona State in the Vegas Bowl, 8.30 tonight on ESPN. That'll be the fourth of four consecutive games on ESPN. Georgia coach Kirby Smart said the Bulldogs were dealing with COVID-19 issues a couple weeks ago, but he expects his team to be near full strength when they play number 2 Michigan tomorrow night in the Orange Bowl. One of the national semifinals for the college football playoff. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Joe Ingles is going to join us at 9 o'clock this morning. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. He will join us next right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're talking Rose Bowl with Lincoln Kennedy next. Stay with us. It's official. The youths are the 2021 Pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. What better way for the youths to make their inaugural trip to the Rose Bowl than a battle against Ohio State? Keep it locked on the Zone Sports Network as we get you ready for the youths' historic trip to Pasadena. Your home for the best coverage of the youths in the Rose Bowl is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Lincoln Kennedy joins us now. Raider, radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. 
Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. How are you guys today? Good. When I say Rose Bowl, what do you think? The Granddaddy Mall. Remember, I used to hear Keith Jackson as I was a kid talking about announcing the games, and he had a you know standout announcer's voice. And then, of course, having the pleasure and the privilege of playing in three of them, um, you know, I was I was lucky. I spent my Christmases in Southern California. The first one was the Freedom Bowl, and they used to have that in Anaheim, and then three straight Rose Bowls. So I was very fortunate. What was it like, Lincoln, to run out of that tunnel on that glorious January 1st? Even though you did it three years in a row, I imagine that it wasn't old for you. No, no, it wasn't old. It was definitely welcome. I mean, you think about it, you know, that's the largest stadium uh, you had the chance to play in in college. And and the fact is that you go out to sometimes an equally separated color fan base. Uh, We played Michigan twice. We played Iowa once. And, I remember seeing the purple in the stands, but there was, you know, sprinkles of other fan bases as well. It was, it was just fun. It was great. It was very exciting. And the, the week that led up to it uh, was exciting. The, the Rose Bowl committee always put on a good show. I don't know how it is these days, but, um, you know, we were down there for a week or two practicing in L.A. before the game happened. And, you know, it was, it was just cool. It is a bigger crowd, and you played. I don't think the stadium even holds 100,000 because I think they've downsized it, put some seat backs in and all that, but they squeezed in 100,000 for some of those games. Is it louder? It's yeah. bigger. Is it louder than the other stadiums, or because it's kind of a flat bowl, does it not hold the sound the same way? Well, it's, it's louder. It can get loud. You can definitely have a, a noise advantage if you have a crowd advantage, but most of the time with the Rose Bowl, it's pretty much equal. So there really wasn't like any team had one advantage over anyone else. Although I understand it with these guys wanting to opt out, I am disheartened that they wouldn't want to play in the Rose Bowl. What's your take? You know what? I've kind of come under some criticism with my stance because I think it's very selfish for the guys wanting to opt out and just you know, focus on getting ready for the combine or anything like that. A lot of times, because it's a team game, they didn't accomplish those things on their own. If he was a standout quarterback, he wouldn't have been anything if he didn't have an offensive line or he didn't have, uh, you know, receivers or backs to go to and vice versa. You know, a running back wouldn't be good if he didn't have an offensive line or an offensive system to rely on. And the, the bowl games, especially one of this magnitude, is such a big deal that you want to win. You want to have all hands on deck. I think it's a little selfish for, 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 for guys to just opt out and want to do their own thing. Now they want to be on their own and be an individual. And I also think the same thing of coaches. You know, once you coach a team to a high-level bowl or a high game and they all of a sudden you have us for another job, I think that's incredibly selfish. So it goes both ways. So now that you know those guys are missing, assuming there's no more guys out for COVID, which obviously could happen, but as we understand as is set up now, who do you think wins the game? No, I really would like to see uh, Utah put on a good showing. Um, I was a little disappointed last night in the showing of Oregon, but kind of expected it when I thought about Oklahoma's running game. So I would like to see Utah go and put on a good show. It's their first one. I, I, I think they're, they're really a great champion for the Pac-12. I like the fact that they're representing us, but I'd like them to go out there and put a good showing on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that would be something that would really be special for this program. I think it would be the greatest yeah. accomplishment. Uh, you were with, as you said, you played with three Rose Bowl teams with Washington. Uh, what do you think Utah, as a, as a football program and maybe even beyond that as a university, how much can they cash in from this Rose Bowl experience going forward? 
Well, I, I think it's a tremendous honor and step in the right direction. If you think about what Utah has been through, what Kyle Willingham has done for the program, the consistency that it's had over the years. Now, this is just an obvious stepping stone in the right place. You know, they were for forever a bridesmaid, but never a bride. And now they've got to that point where they're at the granddaddy of all and they're representing the conference. Sure, it's not the college football playoff that so many people put so much into, but it is a step in the right direction. It's a building block for the future because, you know, now it's not just Oregon who's going to showcase what you their uniforms is Utah and other places. <laughs> showcase their uniforms on a, on a center stage on New Year's Day. Do you trust Ohio State with these guys out? Do you trust that Ohio State recruits great? There's no short, slow guys over there, so they'll plug four players in and keep going. Or this is an awfully big stage to take on more responsibility, and are you really up to the moment, and this is going to be a problem for some of these guys stepping in roles, whether it's want, a tackle or a wide receiver or whatever? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, you know, here's the thing, because, you know, these opt-outs, COVID, you never know who's going to be available to actual game day, but I'm hoping, you know, from Utah's standpoint, I'm hoping that they can apply the physical pressure like Michigan did when they played Ohio State and beat them down. And even when Oregon took them on in a horseshoe. So it doesn't matter who's out there. It's it's going to be a mentality. It's going to be an attitude. And because the rosters are so deep on college campuses, the college rosters, um, you know, you can you can very well make the argument that the next man should be able to go out there and do a solid job. I'm wondering, you as a former lineman in the college game and in the NFL, did you laugh that two receivers didn't want to risk injury? I laughed anytime I didn't want to go out and, and didn't want to play risk injury. Because like I said, it, they, they didn't get there by themselves. They might have talent. No one's saying that you're not going to be able to go to the next level. But I think it's just crazy these days that you know guys want to opt out because they want to focus on the combat. Focus on what? And most of the time they want to do pro days anyways. All you're going to do is run and jump. Go out there and play football, have some fun, and, and you know give your teammates a little bit of love back. You guys all deserve it together. You should have fun and enjoy it together. Speaking of the next level, I have to admit, I thought the Raiders were done and dusted. It was all over. They lost five of six. They had a coaching change. It was just too much. They weren't good enough. And then they beat the Browns and the Broncos, and they're eking out these 16-14 and 17-13 wins. The Colts have been playing great. The dream dies here, right? Or they're going to shock us here in the last month of the season. (laughs) Look, the the Raiders have been a pillar of inconsistency all season, and I've said it. One game they look all right, next game they look horrible. Um, I was surprised about the Bronco game. They were able to pull it out because I really thought they lost their edge. Um, Playing lackluster now, they've got to have an answer for Jonathan Taylor. Forget who's possibly playing a quarterback for the Colts, whether it's Carson Wentz or uh, Sam Ellinger or whoever. They've got to have uh, an answer for Jonathan Taylor. And I don't know if they have that now. And, you know, talk about being wrecked by the COVID list. As early as Monday, there were six key types of players that were a part of that COVID list. And some of the standout ones, like Denzel Perriman, they're, uh, you know, Pro Bowl linebackers. So I'm still waiting to see the final tally. Who's going to be available for Sunday's game? But I hope they put up an effort and fight because they got a chance. And they, but if they have any aspirations of going to the playoffs, they got to win these final two games against the Colts and the Chargers. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, you speak of the Chargers, man. Just when I want to anoint them as, yeah, they're a solid playoff team, they stumble. I'm not sure what to make of them now. You know what was interesting this year uh, about the Chargers, and unlike last year, I thought a little years ago, I think when Philip Rivers was quarterback, most notably, they would start off slow and then finish strong. Uh, and then be in the playoff contention to be in a conversation towards the end of the year. 
This year has kind of been a little bit of a reversal. They started off fast and then they slowed down considerably. Now it's really no, you don't know what to make. They've got, you know, they got all the pieces in place. They've got a quarterback. They've got a coach who's aggressive. They, they got a system. And if they can get healthy along with, you know, dealing with COVID like everyone else, they can still be a force. But I'm hoping that they're down for the count. I'm hoping that the Raiders are able to take care of them at the end of the year. That way they can end up splitting with the Raiders, uh, you know, splitting with the Chargers, um, and, you know, sweeping the Broncos, and they still have their work to do against Kansas City, as you already know. So the Dolphins lost seven straight games, including one to the Raiders. So you, you saw them early yeah. in the year. They lost to the Jaguars in that stretch. They lost to the Falcons <laughs> in that stretch. I mean, they were a bad football team. But now they've won seven in a row. And granted, they haven't beaten many playoff teams. The Saints were way, way shorthanded in that Monday night game as the Dolphins won their seventh in a row. They're catching the Titans, and maybe the Titans will get their star running back back for the playoffs, but they don't have him now. Uh, no Derrick Henry makes him a different team. Is Miami going to keep doing this? they got the Titans and then the Patriots. You know, it's awfully hard to say. You know what's interesting about the Utah? They didn't beat in playoff caliber teams. Well, the Raiders beat several playoff teams from last year, but they still were inconsistent. I mean, it's just been one of those years. There's nothing that's, that's really given, and the AFC has created such a garbled mess that's the tiebreakers and all the other scenarios are going to come into view. And I'm glad that the Raiders are able to take care of business against teams like the, um, the, the Ravens, against teams like the Steelers and the Dolphins. Uh, because if it comes down to it, you know, they're, they're going to be in the thick of things just because they beat those teams when they had a chance. Yeah, right. If you do that, you will be in the thick of things. And, and uh, mm-hmm. that's what makes it – it makes it entertaining as far as which teams actually get in the playoff. And I do think in the NFL, if you get in the playoffs, that's a significant accomplishment uh, for most teams anyway. I guess maybe if, if you're the Chiefs or uh, the Packers, maybe just getting there isn't enough. But I'm wondering, you know, the NBA is sort of predictable. When the season starts, we can pick out three or four teams at the most who have a shot to get to the finals. And the NFL, we don't really know what's going to happen week to week. But I'm wondering, as now we're getting close to the end, obviously, with a couple of games to go at the end of the season, if we can say, all right, uh, Packers, Chiefs, Bucks, maybe somebody else from the AFC. Uh, so the teams that we thought were legitimate Super Bowl contenders, 17, 18 weeks later, that's where we are. But here's the thing what you take into consideration you watch this year's football. Anybody can beat anybody, right? Right. You saw the yeah. Dallas Cowboys get shredded by the Denver Broncos. You know what yeah. I mean? And when when the Denver's down, you know what I mean. So there's there's it's anyone's guess who's going to actually be on the top. The great thing about the NFL playoffs, and this is what I've always referred to, especially as a player, is like you get in and anything can happen. A wild card team can go on the road three times and end up at the Super Bowl. They take care of business. You know, a, a favorite team has that first week by, and then they can run the course for the two games and then the Super Bowl. Anything can happen, but you got to be in it to win it, and they got to get a chance to get in it. So any, anything can happen once you get in the playoffs. Ben Roethlisberger, is he all done? Should one of these teams that's uh, decent but needs quarterback help, obviously the Bronco fans are going to say the Broncos, but there's probably a handful of these teams around the league, should they be looking at him? That's a terrible team defending the run and a terrible team running the ball. I think they're actually last defending the run in the entire league. They give up more yards per game than anybody. Could he go somewhere and have a positive impact, or he's all done, he's hanging by a thread, and he should just walk away? I think like Cam Newton, he should have walked away a couple years ago. Yeah, looking that way, that's for sure. 
You have been involved in bro- you've been in broadcasting for a number of years. Obviously, yeah. I'm wondering uh, what are your thoughts and maybe what type of influence uh, John Madden had. Obviously, he was a legendary figure. Oh, uh, uh, still dealing with it, guys. And um, he was a uh, he was very instr- instrumental in my development, my growth as a broadcaster. It's been an emotional week. You know, I'm realistic and practical. I know everything lives eventually dies, but we knew somebody like that. And he meant so much to me because he was, you know, he was very pivotal in me defining my voice, saying that it had to be different, couldn't be like everyone else. You know, and told me not to use, you know, his phrases, his slogans and stuff like that, boom, and all that other stuff. And, you know, when you're commenting on the game. And, but, you know, I, I was just in awe because he made me part of his, one of his video games and, actually had some input in how I was designed in the back of the day. So there's a lot of moments that I had, had with Coach. And, of course, he was part of the Raider family. And we were always thinking and well-known, well, 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 well together, close together. Um, but you just talk about being or, or knowing someone who was pivotal in changing the history of the game. And I've had the honor. Been around guys like, you know, Tom Davis and Tom Flores and, John Madden, just to name a few, but you know, also had the privilege of meeting the Rooney's and the Hunt family and stuff like that, and just the, just the people that make the NFL what it is today. Um, Paul Tagliabue, I mean, the list goes on and on. And John Gruden, I mean, not John Gruden, John Madden would always be one of those guys that would be synonymous with the NFL. Did so much for the game, both on and off the field. Um, he will be lost, and I hope he. he and his family and his heart rest in heaven, rest in paradise and peace. How did he connect so well with so many people? Because reading the stories and the tributes, I mean, your part, you know, you played for the Raiders, and even after he was yeah. done coaching, he was tight with Al Davis. So I get in yeah. that sphere how he was close to so many people, but I'm reading all these tributes, and, like, he had this close friendship with Peggy Fleming, the figure skating commentator yeah. gold medalist. Yeah. How did he reach out beyond what you would think the normal sphere of influence would be and, and connect with all these people? He was, he was the best at simplifying everything that you wanted to talk about. didn't matter. It didn't matter if it was politics. It didn't matter if it was sports. It didn't matter if it was life. He just simplified it. He, 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 he brought it down to earth and made you, in a conversation, no matter what your level was, he made you, it made it fun to talk to him and to be around him and just enjoy his personality. And that was the thing that he connected with so many people for. You know, forget about the sports like you talked about and the connection with it. It's just He was just a fun guy to sit down and chat with. Well, Lincoln, we appreciate a few minutes this morning. Thanks for joining us. Sorry for your loss there with, uh, with John Madden. And uh, enjoy the week, and we will talk to you again in another week. Happy New Year, guys, uh, to you and all your, your listeners. You guys be safe out there. Happy New Year to you too, Lincoln. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, played in three Rose Bowls with the University of Washington and talked broadcasting with John Madden. And that's only part of his resume, but that's a pretty impressive chunk of it right there, PK. Yeah, three Rose Bowls, man. Washington obviously had it going on during the time he was there, and he's spoken with that many times with Don James, and they were a great team. I think they shared a national title. It was with Georgia Tech Yeah, um, when he was there. 
uh, what, in like 90, 91 or so, and then he's a Hall of Famer in the collegiate level and went on to decorate a career as the NFL. And wow, it kind of caught me off guard, his uh, emotional stance a little bit with uh, John Gruden, or John Gruden, John Madden. Uh, I drove by the Allegiant Stadium yesterday, and on the marquee, they had a big picture of John with his, you know, what they do underneath uh, the birthday year and the, and the death year, because obviously he was a significant figure, and it was cool to have Lincoln acknowledge that. I did not realize how much John Madden meant to him personally. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Once he started explaining, it made sense to me, but I had no idea. Right. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We have Joe Ingles coming up at 9 o'clock. But between now and then, we've got a lot of time to talk college football and talk Rose Bowl and talk Utes and Buckeyes. PK has made the trip. That's why he's driving past uh, Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. He's made the trip to Southern California to be in Pasadena for the game. We've got, uh, we've got shows broadcasting from there uh, all day long. We'll tell you more about that coming up. We've got the question of the day. College football on the way. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. He covers Ohio State for The Athletic, Bill Landis. You know, there are people on the Michigan side questioning Ohio State's toughness, and, and one of their assistant coaches, I, I believe, said that Ohio State was, was kind of a soft, finesse team, and obviously that's never something you want to hear somebody say about your program. So I'm interested to see if there's carryover from that going into this Rose Bowl, because we all know that, that Utah wants to play the same kind of way. They, they want to play a physical brand of football, and Ohio State just kind of got challenged a little bit by Michigan, and you know, I guess that can go one of two ways. They can just kind of roll over and kind of end the season and not, not worry much about putting up a fight. But I would say there's some pride in the line for Ohio State, too, because I don't think they want to go out in a fashion where it's, you know, back-to-back games where you get pushed around like that. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Hot Takes or Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair, it's 2021, and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahairmd.com. Got multiple questions. One on the game coming up Saturday night. One on the game from last night, the Alamo Bowl, Oregon and Oklahoma. Both teams missing their head coaches who took off for other jobs. And Oklahoma scores on eight straight possessions and wins 47-32. Question, how bad is Oregon? Don says, you need to look at it from another perspective. We know that Utah is at least as good as Oklahoma. Uh, Yeah, is that the goal, though, to be at least as good as Oklahoma? You're in a Rose Bowl, man. You won the Pac-12. What did uh, Oklahoma? They didn't even play in the in the final, right? They did not. Reserves was they it Baylor and Oklahoma State, right? Baylor and Oklahoma State. It got decided at the one yard line. Yeah, yeah, that was a great game. Uh, they played earlier in the day, uh, the day after uh, Utah had just annihilated Oregon, and so you know I think that uh, seeing Oregon just roll over and play dead. Was it about one point? It was thirty to three, wasn't it? That was a uh, halftime score. Yeah, and that doesn't do well for the Pac-12. But if Utah goes out there and wins on Saturday, nobody cares. Yeah, and and that does wonders for the Pac-12. Ohio State 
is a top two or three brand in college football. You cannot deny it. Absolutely. You know, we're staying at the uh, hotel in the L.A. Live area, they call it. They didn't have L.A. Live when I was uh, living down here at that time. Down there. It's down here because I'm here. (laughs) Not for me. If I wasn't for you, it's down there. Right. But I'm literally here right now. And, you know, the whole hotel, it's the media center. It's decorated with Utah and Washington. Washington, I don't know where I got that. Ohio State. I was thinking of Lincoln Kennedy. And when I got in, it was just buzzing with folks. And you could feel something special. And I've been to, not a million bowls, but I've been to a lot of bowls. And just getting out of the car, it felt different. Raining like cats and dogs, raining hard today, although it's supposed to be sunny tomorrow and then sunny and 60-something at kickoff. Just like I told you, he Hmm. is a Rose Bowl fan, and he takes care of us every single year. There's a reason why the rain is on a Wednesday and Thursday, but not Friday and Saturday. No, you just don't mess around at that point. It's going to be a glorious day. It's going to be the highlight of Utah's program. Unprecedented is the word of the month, as we were joking about. And unprecedented attention to the University of Utah football program and in the university itself and Kyle Whittingham and all the stuff that the Utes are about. That's what they're going to receive on Saturday. There's just no doubt about it. And if you win this ball game. It, untold amounts of positive publicity are just going to flow in your direction. Just getting here is a great accomplishment. There's no question about that. But it's not like the Pac-12 had a banner season by any stretch. But Ohio State is still Ohio State. They lost a couple of ball games. Michigan finally got them. Good for them. And so this puts them in this game. But they're still one of the biggest brand names. I mean, I could argue they're the second biggest brand name right now that we have in college football behind Alabama. And I can make a strong argument for that to the point where you you couldn't knock whoever has that argument. You may disagree, and they may nitpick going in this direction or that direction, but the strong argument is there to be made. And if you could beat this program right now, this would be the pinnacle. This is a great opportunity, and it's it's played in this, this legendary venue and this city. Obviously, this city is massive. The L.A. Live people for – uh, for folks who don't know where that is, it's right across the street from what's what are they just renamed Staples Center and that crypto. Just, yeah, that emotional moment of the of arena no longer having the name. I mean, it was so touching. They had to bring back everyone. Oh, uh, it's no longer the great moments of the Staples Center. I mean, geez, we're hurting for stuff. If we change a name and we get melancholy. <laughs> it, it was weird, but it's still there the same was building. There's plenty of stuff on social media, and they were they were getting all weepy about it. It was hard to believe, you know. The, the team didn't move, and they didn't tear down the stadium. Man, if you want to tear down Dodger Stadium and build something newer and more modern, well, you need to have a year long send off, and you need to bring back uh, great Dodgers, and you need to play moment all the great moments. Yeah, but, uh, that would be different. Well, they, they, is... The Giants did that when they moved from Candlestick to. Okay, that's a great example, Walmart. right? And they brought him out, and of course, you know who the last person they introduced was Willie Mays, simply the greatest ball player ever. Unless, and, and that's that's something that's inarguable. I'll let you argue that Ohio State there might be a bigger brand, but I will not let you argue that this is a better ball player than Willie Mays. You got Bama. You got Bama as the bigger brand than Ohio State, but Ohio State's past Notre Dame because they haven't won national. They haven't won a national title in the last thirty years. 
Well, if you if you just go in terms of publicity, I think it's Notre Dame. But if you combine the success with the brand, I think you have to put Notre Dame below Ohio State. So you answer your question, yes. Yeah, this if Ohio State loses this game, this will be their first three-loss season in a decade. That's oh where they've gosh. been. That's where they've been. They're going to have to have an two. internal investigation to see what happened. <laughs> and for a league that takes a lot of heat, the Pac-12 would have two of the three wins over Ohio State. Yeah, see, so that's where I don't think, even with these four dudes sitting out and hopefully COVID doesn't involve, we all hope that no matter what sport at every every single level, we wish it would just go away and die, obviously. Uh, but that's where I have a hard time thinking, well, Ohio State – doesn't want to be here. I mean, there's so much tradition that these guys have to uphold. You know, so just whatever college football is about, Ohio State, at least partially, if not completely, defines it. And that's why I was so hoping that they got, in a sense, it's like better than playing if uh, Michigan had lost the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it, it, Ohio State's been better than Michigan over the last right. decade. So even though Michigan won the game and they get to go to the playoff, it's better that you're getting Ohio State. Uh, they're the bigger name. They're top two or three. And you've got the and, – and Utah's really carrying the banner uh, for the, the Pac-12. I mean, Oregon got rolled – Last night, I did the Devils. Uh, they they've had like five, six guys leave the program. Either they're going to go to the NFL, or obviously it's a, the program is trending very poorly, and people are leaving to go to other places. They're going to be without their top two running backs, and so I don't think they've got much of a chance against Wisconsin. UCLA uh, so, didn't even play, and they didn't get the chance to play. Yeah. Oregon State loses to a Mountain West team. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you need the Pac-12 to do something, and this is going to be their big chance. And, and there's if you win the Rose Bowl, that covers up a lot of inadequacy because that's the one that I think the nation would remember. Oh, yeah, well, Utah beat Ohio State. And you can't say, well, Ohio State didn't want to be there. I, I, I just don't buy it. I don't, not the Rose Bowl. If you want to go Alamo Bowl, if you want to go these other bowls, lesser stature bowls, all right, I can buy that. Uh, but I can't buy that uh, the Rose Bowl. And, and this is, again, since the team, uh, the conference went to 12 teams, no team that's lost the Pac-12 title game has won its bowl game. None, because Oregon lost to uh, Oklahoma. So it's again. So there is a big letdown there, and then you – factor in the coaching change and whatnot, and obviously Oregon wasn't up for the challenge. And all that sheds a negative light on the Pac-12. But if Utah goes out there and wins Saturday, who cares? Devin, longtime Oregon Duck fan who always comments whenever you have anything to say about Oregon or we have a post about Oregon or whatever, he says, you realize Oregon was missing 30 scholarship players from either injuries, opt-outs, or the transfer portal before the bowl game. Their head coach bailed on them in mid-October. They won 10 games with a glorified backup QB. The fact they won the North was a miracle. On to new beginnings. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime Oregon can win a game, it's a miracle because they have so many disadvantages. I mean, I, it's just it's amazing. Just the fact that they feel the team, I think, is incredible. And so if they should win a game, it's an absolute miracle that Oregon won the North. 
even though they were overwhelmingly picked to win the North. It's just, I mean, this is right there in the holiday season with Jesus' birth. I mean, some of the walking on water, Oregon won the North. That's better than that. Healing the sick, Oregon won the North. That's better than that. Stop me, DJ. You're a scriptorian. A scriptorian? (laughs) New word. If it doesn't exist, it should. That's not true, Yak. Back me up. Scriptorian? Scriptorian is, a, scriptorian is I've never used. I've never used that word. DJ. I'm sorry. Because you're humble. That's why. Okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely a word. <laughs> All right, when we come back, question of the day, part two. Everything, everything reflects on the Rose Bowl these days, doesn't it? All roads lead to Pasadena. We'll get to question number two, the Utes and the future beyond the Rose Bowl. Next, stay with us. DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Countdown to the Rose Bowl is on. PK is in Pasadena for the game. Unrivaled will be broadcasting from Southern California as well. And we've got multiple questions. Uh, We were just talking about Oregon, how bad that was and how disappointing that was for the Pac-12. But let's look forward, not back, PK. Are these the good old days for Utah football, or are there more to come? Great question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it'll be in here that you'll be called a troll. (laughs) I think it's a legitimate question. Uh, I think the answer is, tell me how long Kyle Winningham is going to coach the team for. Uh, There'll be announcements Saturday night. (laughs) <laughs> about what? <laughs> Love a ten-year extension. Now, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, you're gonna earn this this trolling stuff. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm having fun. Come on, ninety percent of the people get me. The other ten percent are still trying to figure it out and probably never get there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, th- th- see, that's the mark of a program, though, because you just look at the other side. They've gone through coaching changes. Yep. In the 10 and 3, is that called missing a beat? I'll take that. If that's called missing a beat, if they should lose this game, or 11 and 2, if they should win it, if that's missing a beat, sign me up, right? Uh, so I think that that's what the goal here is, even with Kyle stepping aside at some point. I mean, it's funny, man. He's 62, and it's like we're putting the guy out to pasture <laughs> with this retirement talk. And I, and I certainly. Uh, don't think that he's going to retire. I mean, but everyone reserves the right to change their minds or make a decision. And I don't know that he would be changing his mind because I don't know that it is necessarily he's committed uh, to doing this or that. But I'm very, I'm extremely confident in saying that he's going to be coaching next year in conversations that I've had with the man himself. Uh, but at the same time, I, heck, I'm never ruling out ever. You, you very rarely hear me say, "Oh, this is going to happen." You know, there's as it as it progresses, like with the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, I said, "Hey, there's a pretty good chance, pretty good chance." Okay, and then when we got down to the final few days, it's like, "Yeah, this is going to happen." Uh, and that that's where we were with with that and other stories. I mean, I I came out uh, probably a month before. Dave Rose stepped down, and I had heard uh, there's a pretty good chance that this is going to be it. But I never really said he's done until they put out the actual, well, we're going to have a press conference today. But, you know, I had heard, obviously, and I know Dave very well, that that this was likely going to be it. But I'm not hearing that from Kyle. But even still, 
I can't use that as an right. Not, but when I when I bring it up for a reason, I'm looking further down the road because yeah, I think that's the way the sign things, of a program, the though. way these things pay off, right? But when you change the head coach in college football, anything can happen. You can be Utah and you can hit on three head coaching hires in a row, and we know <clears throat> because we can look back now over 30 years and say. They hit on Ron McBride. That was a huge win. They hit on Urban Meyer. That was a huge win. They hit on Kyle Winningham. That was a huge win. Now, Boise State, I think they got like five coaches deep. Now, they just had a five-loss season, so we'll see if they're finally about to miss. But other programs have missed completely. Oklahoma hit on back-to-back, then swung and missed a couple times in the 90s, and now they've come back and hit on two more hires, and we're going to see if they're going to hit on a third in a row. Okay, but the 90s might as well be the 20s. In terms I get of it, but when, you look it at, but when you look at programs, because you're talking about Utah being established as an elite program. Pac, an elite Pac-12 program. Okay. Doesn't necessarily mean an elite national program, but as an elite Pac-12 program. And I also believe if you've hit on two, then it ought to be easier to hit on three. If you've hit on three, it ought to be, ought to be easier to hit on four and so forth down the line. So there the change is that the guy who hired the last three coaches isn't hiring coaches anymore. There's a new AD. But and there's it's never been easier to get a quality coach. Utah literally has everything it needs to be because there's a, a big time. There's program. a pecking order and you write the check and you get somebody who's run a program that didn't have as much money. But they've run it well and they've won at the level they're at. That's what you're saying. And they've got they've got everything they need. Now they and they they, and Kyle has talked about this uh, progressively from 2011, fast forward here, to about enter 2022 in terms of getting in the door. Now getting in the door of a kid's house is like no big deal. That's not where it's at anymore. He's, and he's spoken about that. So I can't think of anything that they don't have. What, what do you want if you're a kid? They're not going to get everybody, obviously. But what are you looking for? Whatever your checklist is, and your checklist, four, five-star, three-star recruit, your checklist is going to be different from your buddy's checklist, and his checklist is going to be different from the next guy, right? Although they're going to have some commonality, but there may be some differences. Whatever those checklists are, Acknowledging that there may be differences over the course of 25 kids that you sign, Utah has it. So Mark Harlan, if he's there at the time of Kyle's retirement, it should never be easier for him to hit on the next coach. And that's the whole point here. Is this, are these the good old days? Now you look at these teams in the South, uh, Arizona under Rich Rod, those were the good old days. <laughs> even though he was tough to be around and all that stuff. And Jim Moore had a little run, right? And Mike McIntyre had a little run. And Todd Graham had a little run. All those guys are gone. (laughs) So, in a sense, in a small snapshot of a pitcher, those were the good old days. They couldn't sustain it. Well, Utah has sustained the level of those programs in the South. Now, the good old days for SC, that's that's a higher plane. I'm not necessarily taking – a national program year in and year out, but in my mind, a competitive program in the South Division year in and year out? Absolutely. When you look at Kyle's track record and you look at three years, and he's all about, you know, 
finding the kids he believes in and developing them. And if they happen to be two stars, so be it. And if they happen to be four stars, so be it. But they're the they're the they're the high school players now transfers also that he believes in, and then develop those players. And every three years, the program's gotten better. Those first three years, they were barely over five hundred, but they're over five hundred. They're bowl eligible the Mountain West. The last three years, they barely lost. His last three years, he was I think thirty three and six. And then you get into the Pac twelve conference, and the first three years, he's got one bowl bid and competes one time for a division title. The next three years, it's nine and ten wins, and he's competing but not winning the division every year. And then the next three-year cycle, he wins the division twice but not the conference. And now here we are in another three-year cycle, and he's won the conference. It's always upgrading. It's always incrementally but clearly better. He hasn't gone backwards yet. So if you're in a Rose Bowl and you're on a bigger stage, and they are and they are, he's cashed in every cycle he's built off, and it's been better. I don't see why you would bet against him now. He's that doesn't make any cat. sense to me. Yeah, and I, he, I agree. I and the agree only 100%. thing people are going to say that is going to that I'm going to be left with a sticking point here is Lincoln Riley is really good. He really knows what he's doing, and SC hasn't had anyone this good running that program since the Utes joined the conference. Okay, I don't have an answer to that, and maybe he's about to go out and do some kind of. Um, Pete Carroll, John Robinson, John McKay type run. That's what that's what USC fans expect. That's what they hope. But he hasn't done it yet. So oh, we'll on, see. Lincoln Riley. I mean, he he gravy trained Bob Stoops. <laughs> you didn't think he did it long enough that was on him? At Oklahoma, but not at SC. No. Oklahoma already had it rolling. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Stoops had it rolling, and he continued it rolling. And so to lift up SC, is a, that, that's a different equation. I'll give you that. I have to be consistent. My attitude towards coaching hires is give the man a chance. You give him a three- to four-year run and see where he's at. Mm-hmm. And we hear these hires, and, oh, well, that's not going to be a good hire. Well, how do we know that? And so here, uh, and it's usually from the negative when I always say, give, this, give that man a chance to see what he can do. And it's usually because, oh, that was an underwhelming hire. All right, and while this one is a brand name hire, I got it. You know, you, this, this is a, it was an earth-shattering move. He needed to hit a home run, a, uh, what's his name, ball in the AD, and, and he did. Good for him. But what does that mean? All right, you hit a home run. You won the press conference. It's absolutely sensational. This young guy, I think he's only like 38 years old, and and so good for him. But what does that mean? He's going in an area where he's never coached. And, you know, he's recruited the area because everybody recruits the area. But he hasn't recruited the area intensely the way, say, uh, whoever, uh, Freddie Whittingham, I think, is uh, one of the guys responsible for recruiting the area down here. And I'm in L.A. right now. I'm in uh, obviously in the area, getting ready for the ball game. We'll be broadcasting down here today and tomorrow. So I say here, and that's what I mean. And with that in mind, you know, what are his contacts? I I don't rule out a guy's going to stink or be great, so i got to be consistent on this. And sure, it looks like a great hire, but we'll, we'll see what, what he can do because Utah still has some advantages. That, that I think they have advantages that SC doesn't have. Utah's the biggest thing we got in the market when it comes to football. You know, and, and BYU's right there too. I get that. But here, 
in in this market, which I'm now sitting in, you know, if if you are average, you are way way down. Utah's average; they're still selling out. BYU's average; they're still running fifty-five, sixty thousand people there. Yeah, and it's right. night and day. It's night and day with LA, and and yeah. watching these two NFL teams go in there and try to win the market, like. Man, you better be really good. Because the thing is, it's not just football. Like, they will turn the page and move on to the Lakers. And if the Lakers are two games under 500, which they are right now, they'll turn the page and move on to the Dodgers. It just keeps coming. Yeah, so let's see what they can do. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I assume Riley's going to do well, but he's got to. And doing well for them is in a different level than doing well for Utah. Uh that, that, that's for sure, and maybe maybe that'll change with Utah now that they have been doing well. Maybe the South isn't good enough, and if they get to the point where winning the conference isn't good enough, well, then wow, you've got it made. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Uh, if if that's where you're at, and uh, here we've got a different set of circumstances that they're now close to achievement. Jersh used to talk about that all the time. You know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> he said that so many times. <laughs> but he loved to say it because he knew he could end discussions because he's right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Sure, yeah. And I was with that team on the road for years, and it was always a huge, huge deal. You yeah. go to Albuquerque, Laramie, uh, Houston, Texas, when they played Rice, it was a big, big deal. I had I had an extensive conversation before the game with Gifford Nielsen. He was a sportscaster. He came out for that game. Is he a church leader now? Mm-hmm. And so it was such a big, big deal. The Utes were coming to town. That's why it was so fun to cover his team. He was tough to cover it sometimes. But the players and the attention and all, it was always the biggest thing going on in the communities when the Utes came to town. And that was awesome. And you know, as he would say, and uh, I'm not as good as uh, as Tim Lacombe, but uh, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, you know? Uh, so uh, he had all those sayings. Uh, and when he came to town, his team would wreak havoc. And that <laughs> offense would be very, very good. Nice. Yeah. Come on, just play the hits now. <laughs> and I mean, as long as you had Rydosh running the point guard, and you were fine, even though it was right Alch. But, uh, you know, uh, he, he had it going on. And then Utah's got it going on now in football. And I suspect that it's going to continue, at least to the level where they're an off year is when they're picked third in the South. Will they have an off year? Probably. Injuries, whatnot, re- reload, rebuild, a quarterback doesn't pan out that you anticipated, you know, whatever it might be. But I well, see them with Colorado and no Arizona. Third. Yeah. With Colorado and Arizona struggling so badly, you only have to be in front of either UCLA or ASU, and there you go. Well, yeah, I think, and, and watch out for Arizona. You know, they had a great recruiting class. They're way excited about that, and maybe he's ex- a fish has established something. It's going to take a couple years for sure, And but that's what we're talking about. We're not, we're talking about, you know, the given long term. Is this, basically, is this a one-shot deal? Uh, I've had a couple of people in the national re- media reach out to me and basically say, enjoy it while you can. <laughs> and if Lincoln Riley goes in there and hits a home run, then they're going to be right. You know, and it's it's half the league is sitting on a 20-year um, 
span without going to the Rose Bowl, right? Washington State's coming up on 20 years from their last game. They're probably not quite there yet. But another year or two, it'll be half the league that's gone 20 years without going to the Rose Bowl. So it's easy to say that because there's a lot of truth to it because there are a lot of teams living that. Stanford doesn't, even though it hasn't been very long, they don't look very close to going back. Yeah, I had a Stanford guy reach out to me and say that very same thing. You know, enjoy it while you can. And I had uh, my buddy Jason Reed, who works for ESPN, he got in touch with me. Yeah, enjoy it while you can, buddy. Now, he was kind of, he's an SC grad. He's toying with you. So he was, uh, he was, he was like flexing his SC muscles, so to speak. Like, uh, like we'll be back. And he's a hardcore SC fan. Uh, but you never know. That That's why it's a legitimate question. Is this thing something that's sustainable? You hope for the program and the people involved that it is. And right now, as we sit here this morning, on this rainy morning in Los Angeles, California, I believe it is sustainable. So this is the sixth time in seven full seasons. I'm obviously setting aside last year when they only played five games. That... Kyle's led the team to nine wins or more. Now, it's only the first time they've gone to the Rose Bowl. So if the Rose Bowl's your standard, and I suppose, you know, with a 12-team playoff coming, we're going to have new standards all over the place. Uh, but can, can Kyle lead a team to nine or ten wins? Well, they're averaging about nine and a half wins over the last seven full seasons. So I don't see why that's going away. And as he told you, every three years, they've gotten better. It's clear. So he's got something to build off of now that he hasn't had before. At some point, every coach loses it. Bobby Bowden didn't lose it until he was, you know, almost 80. So it's, nothing lasts forever. But I don't see why the wheels would be coming off right now. You know, the day Kyle walks away, then all bets are off because the head coach has a massive impact on a college football program. There's a reason that they're paying coaches six, eight, and now $10 million a year. They have a massive impact. But it seems like the arrow's up. It seems like he's having more fun than ever. Why not go through another one of these cycles and see how far you can take it? I think they can take it very far. And I do think that it should continue. I think the onus is once he steps aside is that you get somebody who knows what they're doing and understands the program. It's never been easier to hire a quality coach at the University of Utah football program. Never, ever. It's never been easier. You don't have to take a fly on somebody. You can get somebody who absolutely knows what he's doing, whether that's from within or from without. And that remains to be seen. I don't know which direction Harlan would go with I mean, obviously, when you're firing a coach, you're most likely to go from without. So we look at the basketball program. He went from without because they were firing a coach. Kyle, barring the absolute, completely 100% unforeseen, will not be fired. He will quit on his terms because he's done. He wants to do other things with his life, which he has spoken about extensively uh, on and off the record. So it's no surprise to anybody he does have stuff that he wants to do with his life his father died at 64 that that is a lifelong life-altering 
situation with him. And so he doesn't want to be, probably nobody does, wants to be dead at 64, right? And and Kyle's father, that's that's what happened. It was a shock at the time. I remember it vividly. I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news uh, about Fred Sr. passing uh, when he was in uh, basically on the operating table, so to speak. And Kyle doesn't want to do that. So that time is going to come in fairly short order. But I don't know what, what Harlan, would he go in? Would he go out? I don't know. I don't know what, about that situation. But the onus, if he's the guy pulling the trigger on that, the onus is going to be on him to hire somebody who can keep this thing going. And as I sit here today, knowing that things change, I see no reason why it can't continue to keep going. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Joe Ingles joins us this morning. He'll do that at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, about 35, about 40 minutes from now, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. He covers Ohio State for the athletic Bill Landis. You know, there are people on the Michigan side questioning Ohio State's toughness. And, and one of their assistant coaches, I, I believe, said that Ohio State was, was kind of a soft, finesse team. And obviously, that's never something you want to hear somebody say about your program. So I'm interested to see if there's carryover from that going into this Rose Bowl. Because we all know that, that Utah wants to play the same kind of way. They, they want to play a physical brand of football. And Ohio State just kind of got challenged a little bit by Michigan. And, you know, I guess that can go one of two ways. They can just kind of roll over and kind of end the season and not, not worry much about putting up a fight. But I would say there's some pride in the line for Ohio State, too, because I don't think they want to go out in a fashion where it's, you know, back-to-back games where you're getting pushed around like that. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended throughout December at Davis Vision. If you're tired of glasses or contacts, get LASIK now and save 1400 bucks. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. What's it doing right now, PK? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Training like crazy, man. <laughs> it is raining so hard. It, it, I lived here for many, many years, and I don't know that I've ever seen this kind of rain. It pours, DJ and Yak. Man, it pours. It's just and trying it's to get it out of the right system before it clears up for you. That's exactly what it's doing. It's yeah. been raining for most of the last week, I think, from what this I've heard. Sierra Nevada has gotten absolutely pounded. Sure, uh, but that's a little bit to the north. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. So <laughs> Dylan Colley, obviously, has been joining us all season long talking BYU. We were texting back and forth. He was stuck in Sacramento for an extra couple of days. They had to drive down to Vegas to get home. They could not get through the passes. Donner Pass closes all the yeah, time. They just couldn't get through. Yeah. He was stuck in Sacramento for two extra days, he said. That was intense and up there, but we expect that. Yep. Sure. Yes. Uh, Donner Pass closing. It's news, but it's not surprising news. You need right. to know it when it's closed, but 
It yeah. happens all the time. And we saw uh, Tahoe get records amounts of record amounts mm-hmm. of snowfall here recently. Uh, as long as it's cleared up uh, July 12th, I think it is, I'm scheduled to see Chesney in Tahoe. By the way, I'll need off that day, guys. Okay. So mark that down. He's playing I I was outdoor. Going with you. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, right on, man. <laughs> you and I'm riding shotgun. But the amount of rain here right now is very impressive, and it will clear up because God is a Pac-12 fan. And he or she, depending, or, you know, whatever your pronouns are, I don't want to be offensive these days, that uh, it will be sunny. But for today, if you were planning on going to the beach today, I would advise against it. See, that's the deal with different spots on the coast, because I had someone who lived in Portland tell me that that is the time to go to the beach, because you rent a, you rent a house or whatever in Astoria, and you watch the, the storm comes with huge surf, and it throws these 50, 60-foot tall trees that have, uh, you know, the hillside erodes and the trees fall in, and it throws them up on the beach, and apparently it is spectacular. Haven't ever done it, but I've heard it's awesome. Yeah, and I would do that when I lived here. You can go to Redondo because Redondo has a big pier that is like a circle. So you can, it's just not a straight thing out. So you can get out there, right? And you can see those things. And, and sometimes the waves will come splashing up and whatnot, little uh, splash zone as if you're at SeaWorld. But. I don't know that today's that day because it is raining so hard <laughs> that I don't know that you would want to be out there. That's like when it's storming as opposed to the literal storm coming down all day as it is right now. And driving in last night, it was uh, very difficult. And for those of you making the drive, okay, you're going to go down I-15 and then you're going to get in the gorge and then... In the Arizona area, they're doing bridge work, so that thing is going to take another hour. Then, when you get out of Vegas and try to go into California, they've moved the thing where they have, do you have any fruits and vegetables? No. Keep going. Well, it used to be further in the state. Now it's virtually at the border, and that is another hour back up. Of course, when you get there, no one's there, and you just drive right through. But everyone's got to uh, slow down to go through. It gets so yes. narrow. And then coming down the pass with the weather being what it was at least last night, and there was about two inches of visibility, uh, and it was jammed both ways. And then you get in the basin, and it was still raining super hard to where, you know, you got some ding-dongs who got the big trucks, and somehow they think they're more manly. And so they go hauling down. And throw water all over the place, and visibility goes right in the toilet. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it totally just blocks your windshield. And then, of course, you got all the big diesel trucks that are out there doing their thing, and you're dodging them. So it was, you know, a nice... uh, Six-hour drive that took over nine hours. Yeah, I was pretty pleased about that. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't look like it's going to let up at all today. In fact, right now, it looks like it's even harder rain than it was uh, yesterday. Uh, They kept saying, uh, uh, 
oh, you're going to wake up to one to three inches of snow in St. George. Well, I spent some time in St. George earlier in the week. Yeah, I woke up every day and there was nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing, not a flake. So they missed on that. So I'm always a little apprehensive about all that stuff, particularly in areas that don't normally get it. Well, here today, no, they are getting it, and it is coming down big time. So but, whatever if, yeah. if your plans are going to have to be indoors. And I don't know about flying, if that's going to be an issue. The, for, the forecast for a week now has been rain through Thursday, partly cloudy on Friday, and then clear on Saturday. So that's, that's been both days. pretty consistent and great if the clouds get out even sooner. But the point is the thing has to, a little bit of time to dry out. I don't know. Have they put in state-of-the-art drainage in, uh, in Pasadena? I mean, they've got that down to an art form now in other places. I don't know what they've done in Have in you ever stadium. seen the weather impact the Rose Bowl? It's not going to this time. Nice! No, it's just Blue skies, green grass. Blue skies starting tomorrow. I will be at the South Bay Beaches topless. <laughs> I'm going to Uncle Bill's tomorrow. Race down there after the show. Order myself about 5,000 calories worth of breakfast food. And then I walk the strand because you got to walk it off. Absolutely. <laughs> All those carbs. <laughs> French toast, throw the syrup on top. Of course, I'll have the scrambled eggs. Yeah, man, they're so big that actually my wife and I just split them, and she's down here with me on this trip. And uh, so I don't know if we'll have time to do that uh, because of having to do the show. I do it when we're on vacation because I'm not doing the show. And we're, uh, you know, we're the media hotel is downtown, so that would be a little bit of a jaunt, although I'd be going against traffic. Somebody asked me here, I think I saw on Twitter, uh, are there, if you have local knowledge, is there ways to negotiate the freeways? There is to an extent, but you're still going to hit traffic unlike, and I keep laughing. I saw just the other day about how Utah is going to come another California or another Los Angeles. Yeah, maybe in the year 10,000, 10,000, uh, but until then, no. <laughs> Our little traffic jams that we have, although can be a pain in the butt, are nothing to like they have here. Plus, when you compound it with the weather, freeways aren't going to be going very fast today. But all that stuff is going to clear out, and it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day to be a Ute. My only tip for Southern California traffic is use SigAlert.com. S-I-G, like signal. SigAlert.com. And they update all the freeways and got them all color coded. So as the uh, as as any freeway starts to turn into a parking lot, it'll go to yellow and it'll go to red. And as it jams, it'll go back. And that way, you don't have to guess. Well, should we go this way or should we go that way? And you look and say, Hey, look, always are terrible. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. Oh yeah, you can just do that on your phone now. Just type in your destination and and it'll show you. It'll show you where an accident is and. I mean, we had it uh, coming in uh, I-15. It has to get off the freeway for a couple of uh, a few miles because there's the traffic. I mean, the, the stuff, the phone will cover all that stuff now. And if you're if you're driving down, if you're already here, I don't know that you're listening. But if you're home uh, and you're listening and you're driving down, be prepared. Get on the road. Get going. And it's going to be a 
long drive. I don't have a TV career anymore, so I won't say, hey, be safe and be careful, because I don't know what we would do if TV people didn't tell us, be careful and be safe and drive slow and allow plenty of distance between you and the next car. I mean, where would we be without the TV people telling us how to drive, Dave? You'd have even more wrecks. That's what you'd have. <laughs> oh, they do that. Okay, I got it. You walked me through it, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> the problem is I just don't think that stuff sticks. I think radio people need to say that because people are actually behind the wheel, and that's the moment. Like, take your foot off the gas right now. You know you're tailgating. Knock it off. It needs to be right at the moment. It can't be 10, 20 minutes later. I don't think it sticks. Where I off. just got this actually tip from somebody saying, hey, listening to PK talk about traffic. He said, if there's a construction in the gorge, take the old Highway 91 through Santa Clara and bump around and then connect up when you get down to Mesquite. But yet it tells you not to go that way. It still tells you to go through I-15. I know a couple of people who went down to the Pac-12 title game who actually used that because of the gorge was shut down due to some accidents. They said it actually saved them quite a bit of time. So if it is having issues in the gorge, it might be an option. Well, okay, but an accident can bring everything to zero miles per hour. So I get why that'd be quicker. PK's yeah. point was there was construction, so there was slowing, but you weren't down to zero. Yeah. So but you weren't doing freeway speeds either. Option in case anybody's driving. Yeah, and to go, and I've taken that way, and that will add some time, but at least you won't have the frustration of the constant stop and go. Uh, so it's, it's not going to be uh, that easy. And plus, just going through Vegas these days is jammed. Anyway. Oh, Vegas is like another L.A. <laughs> well, it's a snapshot. The thing about L.A. is it's everywhere for dozens of miles. Yeah. Vegas is just like two little freeways. <laughs> you can go that 93 out to Reno and that that thing. And, that, of course, that that has never not been under construction. <laughs> I mean, that literally has been under construction for 20 years, it seems. And I don't think it's changed. And then I read something in the Review Journal where going out of Vegas to go into California, it's just ridiculous. And it's like this. Unless you go at 2 in the morning. It's jammed at all times. And I read, well, the Nevada people say, yeah, California's going to have to do something about it. And the California people say, hey, Nevada, come on, man. Let's go do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> and now that Harry Reid is gone, I don't think we have the power to do anything about it. Not happening. It's yeah. just going to remain a four-lane road. Yeah, so that was somewhat frustrating, although I was prepared for it. But nevertheless, it was frustrating. Bullet train, people. Let's get Vegas to Victorville. Let's get this going. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Who can do that? Can you do that? I can't. I would have already done it if I could. Can your people do that? (laughs) My people. Yeah. (laughs) Let me confer with my people. Well, your party's in office now. Can, Can we get stuff going? Nope. Why not? It'll be filibustered. Not happening. So you're blaming my people. Nothing happens no matter whose people are in charge. Have you not been paying attention? Nothing happened. No, no. About five years ago, nothing. I turned off the television, and I never turned it back on. Well, good news. Since then, almost nothing's happened. So, there you go. <laughs> a lot of blame going on, though. That's the one thing that's been <laughs> happening. A lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame. <laughs> your fault. No, and, your one, fault. And, and one infrastructure bill that didn't have a bullet train from Vegas to Victorville for the convenience of Vegas and L.A. residents. And we need that? Sure, absolutely. Get people off the road. You ever ridden a bullet train? It was pretty cool. I did one time. Well, I guess twice because it was a round trip I've, in I Japan. Mean, I've ridden one in Taiwan and 
It's pretty cool, huh? Pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I haven't been to Japan. I haven't been to Taiwan. I haven't been to Europe. So la di da to you two. Let's go, PK. Well, I mean, I don't make. He the can't. Kind of he's money, going to Tahoe. Man. I was going to say Tahoe's going to get in the way, isn't it? He's he spent all his traveling money going to concerts. I, I just don't have the cash that you guys have. Well, not after all the concerts at 150 yeah, bucks a pop. cash over here. I'm hitching to Tahoe. I'll be out on That I-80. sounds like a Chesney song. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the thumb out on I-80. Let's go. <laughs> I used to hitchhike when I was in college. I didn't have a car. I hitchhiked around Phoenix all the time. I hitchhiked. The longest I ever hitchhiked was from Flagstaff to Phoenix. I got out on the freeway. And uh, stuck my thumb out and was there for about five minutes before I got picked up. I'd always get picked up. My brother-in-law's brother, so he wasn't my brother-in-law, but he's my brother-in-law's brother. And he's in Phoenix, and he and he was visiting, and he wanted to go to California. So we drove to the outskirts of town on I-10 and just left him. And he was going to hitch to L.A. And back then, we I can remember vividly, we thought nothing of it. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That's real. And they're going to drop them, dropping them off. Got out, and it was right by where the the freeway started on, on the way. It's it's a lot different now, but anyway, that's where it was then. And he hitchhiked, and we drove. I drove off, and there he was with his thumb out. Good luck, dude. I'm out. <laughs> well, it was like, yeah, see you, bye. Like you were dropping him off at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't think of doing that now, no. right? No. Yeah, and I did it. I did it extensively because I, I was in college, and I had to get – my parents were on the north side, and I had to get to Tempe. So I had a ride in the mornings. This was summer school. I had a ride in the mornings, but the person had labs and stuff, so I was done. I always took summer school because I had to work throughout the whole time, so I always took at least two or three classes in the summer, and then – when I was done around noon, I'd hitch back on 110 degrees, and I thought nothing of it. Now, oh my gosh, that would just seem outrageous. You don't even see hitchhikers out there anymore. At least I don't. Maybe you guys do, but I don't see them out no, there. No, actually, if you're standing on the freeway with your thumb out, the cops will pull over. It's no pedestrians on the freeway and all that kind of stuff. So, Oh, yeah, that was funny because yesterday when we were out probably about a half hour outside of Vegas on the uh, coming into Vegas... We saw two guys riding bikes. I mean, and not like, you know, were there cyclists? No. The one guy looked like he had his life uh, belongings on his back. And they were riding bikes off to the side. And I commented to my wife. I said, I'm surprised that Highway Patrol hasn't kicked them off. You need to be on a state highway. You need to be on a two-lane road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they both, they look like they had had some hard times physically, and they were on bikes, and they were at least, at least 40 miles away from entering the city, and I'm thinking, man, wow, you don't see this very often. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles is coming up in 20 minutes. More on the Rose Bowl next. Stay with us. 
It's official. The youths are the 2021 Pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. What better way for the youths to make their inaugural trip to the Rose Bowl than a battle against Ohio State? Keep it locked on the Zone Sports Network as we get you ready for the youths' historic trip to Pasadena. Your home for the best coverage of the youths in the Rose Bowl is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Utah Jazz Game where there are free Papa Shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, and taking in the game and socializing with friends. PK, I'm here to save the people time, to make your life more effective and more efficient, and to not waste precious moments. That's why you get out of bed each day. To waste time? No, to save people. <laughs> so we've today's got a nickname, we've got a nickname for you around the studio that we don't ever share when you're there, and I oh, can't really? say it. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm here now, so don't say it. Although you're not here now, so you could say it. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I won't do it. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass you. Thank you. I don't know why you're going to start with that policy now. It hasn't been it's a, a new problem. Year. <laughs> it's not yet, actually. It's December 30th. Hey, do you know whose birthday is today? LeBron's. He is 37 years old. And who else is and having a birthday today? Tiger Woods and Riley Jensen. Tiger Woods is 46 today. Yeah. I think Riley shares his birthday, too. I think he texted us one time. Nice. All right, so happy birthday all those folks. Yeah. So you got the uh, question up. Are these the good old days for Utah football, or are there more to come? And immediately... People, more cougar tear trolling. <laughs> How so on this one? I don't have any idea. I can't explain why. I just know that every time we put it up there, and then you got the other post you put up, uh, how bad is Oregon? Oregon was down 30-3 to to Oklahoma at halftime. 47-32 final looked a little better, but that thing was over in the second quarter when Oklahoma scored 24 unanswered points. How bad is Oregon? Are you trolling for likes? So literally, no matter what you put up, someone is going to put trolling on it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if I worried about all the... Literally, uh, every take. It has no impact anymore. It has been beaten into the ground and shredded. It's just a default for whoever doesn't like it. And there's always somebody who doesn't like something. So save your time. It It doesn't have any impact. Well, not on me. I mean, if I worried about that stuff i would have shriveled up in a corner years ago i mean come on there were, i got I, go ahead. I got something here on twitter uh i'm looking at it some guy named uh, john glenn must be his hero the astronaut and it, i put the thing and they put it up uh on ksl and it's just it's still in the top three or four and it has been i'm i told my wife plan their vacation around the world because i'm just gonna <laughs> i mean it's obliterating all records and this guy, and so Ohio people are now starting getting a hold of it. <laughs> that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother trip on the uh, roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah, and this dude uh, just uh, tweeted at me. Uh, I, I I have to make sure I eliminate their their profanity here uh, because we can't say that on the air. You know, what a bleep article for clicks. Expecting these guys who are about to make millions to risk it all because you have some nostalgic feelings about the granddaddy Rose Bowl is a load of BS. 
Yeah, okay. I'm a nobody. But we just had on Lincoln Kennedy, big fella. And we got Herb, Herb, Kirk Herbstreet. It ain't about a little old PK here. It's about guys who played the game. I never put hat on hat. I never had a chip block. I never put my fingers in the dirt. I think it's and, even bigger than their nostalgia, though. And... And bigger than right. Lincoln Kennedy, he's six six three fifty. <laughs> he's a mountain of a man. <laughs> that's that's why his jersey is hanging, or the replica, or however they do it, is hanging up there. What do they have a banner with his number on it in Washington? Oh, they got a whole like him in action. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's huge on right. the side of the stadium. But yeah. but the thing, and certainly there is a certain amount of their fandom mixed in their takes and in your takes and in my take and anybody else's take, but you can't ignore the fact that this, this game was really important to the sport. This has helped grow the sport. It's helped make everybody money. There are sports that at one time were popular, and nothing goes away, but those sports, boxing, horse racing, they're not as popular. You know, this has been... This has been like a pillar of college football. It's been really important to the growth of college football and romancing the game and turning uh, people into legends. I mean, Keith Jackson for saying it's the granddaddy. It's the way he oh, yeah, talked. Yeah. It's the, you know, that and fumble, you know. Now, he's got a million expressions, like the late John Madden had a million expressions, but there's a couple things people hold on to. And... The Rose Bowl has been important to the history of the sport. Yes, it's a little bit of the old man nostalgia back in my day. Sure, that's part of it, but that's not the biggest part of it. It's obvious the sport has sold itself off of this. The city of Pasadena has sold itself off this. All the growth and the migration to California has been sold off of this. This has been a big deal. And to not want to play in it, to ignore that that's happening for the first time, come on. You're not being realistic. <laughs> you are you are so up in the night. You're a troll. Like, uh, I get called a troll 20 times for everything. That one question, which is what you wrote your column off of, how sad is it that several Ohio State players are opting out of playing in the Rose Bowl? Uh-huh. The Rose Bowl's a big deal. And I can go into the analytics on Twitter and see that my average tweet during a jazz game gets three or 4,000 uh, impressions. And, what's, what's an impression? Uh, so someone looks at it. Someone sees it. I've got 20,000 followers, right? So they're like not a page view. Yeah, essentially. It would be a page view for Twitter, an impression. And okay. so then, uh, but if I'm, do, if I'm doing Rose Bowl stuff, it's getting 8,000, 9,000 impressions. The question, how sad is it that several Ohio State players are opting out of playing in the Rose Bowl? 109,000 impressions. <laughs> Never in my wildest <laughs> dreams, when I put that up there, did I think I was going to get over 100,000 impressions. And you're right. It's like that was days ago. It's still getting it because as people retweet it, because it is sad to a lot of people. And a lot of people also think, well, it's not sad so much. It's like it's a sign of the times. And it may not be great, but we should all adjust to it because it's unrealistic to ask, to ask this kid who has clicked on YouTube and seen Jake Butt get hurt, has clicked on YouTube and seen Willis McGahee's knee blow up, <laughs> and to have potential agents saying, what are you doing? I can get you $10 million or $15 million or whatever. It's unrealistic to think anybody's going to walk away from 5 or $10 million nor should they. To play in one game. So we, we get that, but that doesn't mean it isn't sad. That doesn't mean it isn't a change. Right. That doesn't mean yeah. that it isn't important to the history of the sport. 
And nothing lasts forever. Man, there was a time when baseball was a national pastime. Now it's the second or third most popular sport in the country, depending on where you are in the country, probably, and how your team's performing. Um, and, and there's, you know, tennis isn't what it used to be. Horse racing isn't what it used to be. This stuff matters. And the Rose Bowl, it's mattered big time. It, it's the foundation of the sport. It, it's been so good for college football. <laughs> it has been so good. And they have four players walk away at the same time and say, it's not a good idea for me. And this column has been so good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like when I, I'm getting ripped from both sides or all sides. Then you know that well, you're doing yeah, your I job. Just, I, I, could, I could never, when we're retired and done and I'm looking at this, I could never put trolling up there because I know that everybody who's writing anything interesting is getting hit with that 20 times. It, like, it doesn't matter anymore. No, you're really right on and, that. And people don't understand that. Like, literally, you can put something up. If you put up something about Utah that many people will perceive positively and many people will perceive negatively, you can get ripped by the Utes and Cougars at the same time. You're sucking up to those guys. Well, that's when you know when you're doing your job. Yeah. <laughs> there is some truth to that. There is. Uh, all right, DJ PK, we got to take a break because Joe Ingles is coming up on the other side. Stay with us. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Another day, another road win. This is becoming pretty routine, Joe. Eight in a row. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, um... It's, uh, uh, I guess, a, a little bit hard to explain. Not in, in a bad way, I mean, but just I think we've we've done a good job, obviously, of um, winning different ways on the road. I think we've had different guys on on different trips, and and obviously certain games. Obviously, this trip um, without Donovan being there, um, Rudy Gay yesterday, Rudy Gobert yesterday, just different guys. Um, at different times, and I think obviously with the depth of our team, that's why you sign the, a, a team as deep as we did and, and bring the players, and we did, and um, or that we that we have, not that we did. Um, it's been yeah, so it's obviously been good. I think you, you go through the year, and obviously you want to want to be strong at home, um, but then everyone says you should obviously try and be as good as you can at home and try and split the road, and obviously we've we've done a. A good job at home, but obviously a, a probably a better job really on the road, which is is tough to do in this league. Do you know who my favorite player in the NBA is, Joe? Me. I, it used to be, but I think I got to go with Jake Lehman now. Congratulations! I wish you the best. <laughs> we were just talking about trolling, and now you are trolling Joe hard. Come on now. 
He's, he's a great guy. <laughs> I agree, Joe. <laughs> well, we're, we're on the same page then. He's not my favorite player, but... <laughs> what was going on there, man? It didn't seem like you liked him at the time. Well, he's actually with my... With uh, Bartlestein, who's my manager, and obviously a lot of other people's uh, agents in the league. Um, and I was talking to Mark the next day, and I said something about it. Obviously, Jake, how this? I do. I wouldn't say I know Jake, um, but obviously, being with the same agency, and Mark Bartlestein does a good job of his clients knowing each other, and and not not that we sit there and text each other, but just having a you, you know who's with the same agent, you bump into each other. You, I haven't worked out with Jake, I'm saying, but I've I've worked out with other guys in the league that are with Bartlestein. Um, but it, it was just a bit of a coincidence that it happened to, that it was him. And, um, I mean, for me, it was fine because it kind of fired me off a little bit. I probably played a bit better than I've <laughs> I have played at parts this year. So it was, it was what it was. Um, I think I got teed up, which wasn't... Um, which is a couple of dollars down the drain, but whatever. We'll uh, we move on. So, have you ever considered what guys are trying to accomplish when they do that? Because you've been in the league now. So, if you're going to be intimidated, you're going to be intimidated by some guy who's unstoppable and going for fifty and sixty. Not yeah. for some guy who you know runs into you on purpose. And I got to admit, whenever I see that, first off, I laugh because it's you, and I know we're going to talk about it. And then second off, I'm thinking, well, what happened like two, three, or four possessions earlier that nobody heard or, or nobody noticed? Nothing. Really? It came out of nowhere? The, so the only thing in my mind as and I mean, you guys know, if you, like as in the second unit when I'm, with, when I'm not starting, I for a, a good chunk of my minutes, I usually guard the point guard a lot of the times. Um, which, in that sense, I'm standing at like the half court kind of thing in the middle of the court because the point guard's kind of in the middle for possessions. And the guy that inbounds it is usually like running down with the. So if you pick up full court, the guy tries to screen you as you're up, like playing kind of some pressure defense or whatever, just to turn the ball a little bit and waste some clock and. If not, so I'm standing there, and I can. I think it was D'Angelo Russell I was guarding, and I could see him running down the court, and I could see Layman coming towards me, and I'm like, oh, like he'll eventually run left or right. Like that's just for sure in this play, he's not meant to be running down the middle of the court. Like, then he kept coming and he kept coming, and I mean, you put black belt James Johnson there, I'm definitely getting out of the way. Um, but I was like, he's not going to move. Like, as this is getting closer and closer, and I was like, well, I'm not going to move because <laughs> I've been here for about 40 seconds anyway. And then he just, yeah, he just kept... So as he as he obviously got closer, I turned a little bit to, like, brace myself because I didn't want to get knocked over. I'm not going to, like, flop and try and get a foul or anything that way. And then, he yeah, he just kept running. And then, obviously, I was not going to, like kind of go on with it but then he came back and ran into me again <laughs> into me again that was what I was like alright idiot that's but you had it good. yeah I'm, it was I'm wondering how does a how does a player choose an agent you, you've mentioned Borlstein a few times yeah. now what goes into that I actually heard um, Garrett Temple's with Borlstein as well and, and a couple other guys on his team and we all anyone that's with Mark has no doubt in the world saying he's the best agent in the NBA um, just for, for what he does for his guys and 
Um, it's not a he doesn't have every top 15 player in the NBA. He's got a lot of role players. He's got guys that he believes in. Um, not saying he he's got Bradley Beal. He's got Gordon Hayward. He's got a number of extremely high level guys. But there there is a big chunk of the Jake Lehman, me, um, Garrett Temple, like guys like that. Um, Doug McDermott, um, a lot of role players, and and I think um, as you're going through this process of it. So I I was with an Australian agent my first few years, and then realized I wanted to go to Europe, and my Australian agent probably wasn't not well known in, in terms of him being well known, but knowing what teams and and just getting in that market, and then. As that went on, Priority Sports has got a really good European base as well um, in terms of who, who their agents are. And um, yeah, just sat down with a couple of agents and you, you, kind of like an interview process, I guess. I sat down with two or three. And for me, it was always with a lot of things that, that not that I not, not that I hire a lot of people, um, but people that are involved in our in our life in some sort. It's always about the feel of. The, the relationship before the work. Like, I want to be able to feel comfortable calling you, feel comfortable with you in my house, feel comfortable with you around my family, feel th- those type of things. And and that was what I felt with Mark. I just felt really comfortable with him. And, um, yeah, it's kind of random. I, uh, it's almost like an interview process, I would say, because you are, they're sitting there telling you what they can do for you and you've got to believe them <laughs> to a certain extent. But then they still have to follow through with, I don't think a lot of no agents are sitting there saying I'm going to promise to get you a hundred million dollars, but they you can do this and this and these teams are like they, I mean it's a it's a tough job for agents. So yeah, it's a bit of an interview, and like I said, for me it was it was like ninety five percent about the feel and the, the comfort level being with someone. Because um, like you guys know, I mean they're they're a big party. Like I speak to Mark probably not as much as I should. Um, and he takes Renee all the time telling me to answer my phone. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're a big part of your life. And I, I've been with him since I was 18, 19 now, something like that. So I've been with him for 15 years. And um, obviously, like I said, someone that I'm really close with. Um, he knows my children. He knows Renee really well. Obviously, he knows my family. Um, and, and vice versa, I know his family. And Goes, he, he's based in Chicago, so go there and, and catch up with him every time. It's, um, it's a really good feel and, and good relationship, but I can see why guys do chop and change agents because a lot of the time I think these people, these people, these, these agents, they, not that they promise you things, but they, they want to sign you. They want to get you. They know the potential or they can see the potential and they want to get that, not necessarily that payday, but it's still, that's how they make their money. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's a funny business. It's I would never get into it, but um, I think Mark's respect around the league and with players and all that, and um, it was an easy choice for me. So, did he represent you when you were in Europe? You met him through that uh, when you were looking for an agent to go to Europe and, and yeah. Play there? So my my Australian agent at the time when I was first in the NBA actually kind of sourced out a, a few different agents to say, hey, we're looking to partner with someone. Um, ended up just signing with him and they, they sorted out whatever they needed to sort out um, from that point of view. But um, yeah, I signed with him my second year in the NBL. So 
So I was like 18, 19, uh, which was like 2006 or seven. Um, but like I said, so Mark and another couple guys basically do all the NBA. And then there's another kind of branch off the company that does the European guys. They've got a lot of guys in Europe as well. Um, in every country in Europe, they've got a kind of like a, a home base scout or agent or whatever you want to call it that if you, on the day to day. So if I was in Barcelona and I needed something and obviously with language barrier and all that, and I needed to, to get a hold of someone and I couldn't get a hold of Mark or one of the European agents and I would call the local guy. Um, and same with NFL, they've got NFL, um, they got coaches, Steve Kerr's with, uh, with priority sports. There's, there's a bunch of coaches as well. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a job I'd want to do. Um, it's a, it's an interesting career. Um, but yeah, like I said, Mark's, uh, unbelievable at it. You have a high-profile job, obviously, Joe, but you come off as a regular guy, and we've known you long enough that that's important to you, and you don't really look at yourself uh, as anything special in terms of, a, you know, you're a good human being, and that's the most important thing. So I'm wondering, when you see a kid on social media goes nuts because he gets a Joe Ingles jersey for Christmas, how does that make you feel? It's crazy. Um, <laughs> it is still, I mean, like you said, I, I don't. Like I'm, if you could see where I'm standing right now, I'm standing on about three thousand toys that the kids just throwing all over the house. Um, and it is what it is. I, I obviously thoroughly enjoy the, the 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 life I get to live. Obviously, but um, also want to stay as low key as possible. Um, but then, obviously, you see a lot of things on Twitter and and whatever, and things that you get tagged in with with kids or families or people abusing you or whatever it is. <laughs> I, get, I get all thoughts. So it's, uh, it's an interesting um, things to read the next morning when you get up. But um, no, those ones are, are special. And uh, I guess like you said, like I never I never imagined as a 17-year-old when I first signed my first deal that uh, I would have kids begging for uh begging for my jersey or, or jumping around or getting emotional or um, even the stuff with, with autism or, or families and kids or whatever it is, the, the work we can do. Um, people saying it's their dream come true to meet you or to, to get a jersey or um, whatever it is and, and obviously that sense of work that we can do outside of shooting a hoop and I mean you guys know me and Renee and our family and not that I don't want to downplay the importance of my job in basketball, but they're, they're the things, they're, they're the reasons. Obviously, I'm trying to play my best every night. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but they're the reasons that we, we do what we do and we have the profiles that we, we use the profile to the best we can doing those things. Cause they're the, at the end of the day, I'm going to be an old man that maybe I win a championship. Maybe I don't, maybe I make more money. Maybe I don't. All those things are, a hit or miss but I can always promise myself and, and Renee and, and the families out there or whatever that I can make an impact in that way and that's what we've tried to do with the, the autism world and try to help out in parts with, with Izzy and her situation with, with what recently just happened so um, they're, they're the things that matter at the end of the day I, I know fans and, and we do as players and owners and wives and families and all that want to win every game possible but um, they're, they're the things that, that will last a lifetime. 
I know that the games come fast and furious, and as soon as they're in the rearview mirror, then it's just like, I can't remember that game, DJ. Don't ask me about it. But I want you to look forward. Does it does a regular season with the matchup with the Warriors, does that have a little will there be a little extra pep in the step going to the arena that night? Will there be a little or is it really it's one out of eighty two, maybe we see him in the playoffs, maybe we don't, but it's just about to Yeah, no, I think I think it will. Um uh, first and foremost we haven't played them. I, I, we were actually just saying the other night when we were after the game last night, which feels like nights ago, um like we feel like we've played like Sacramento and Minnesota about a hundred times each, but there's obviously some teams we haven't faced at all yet. Um, played some of our East Coast teams. We've already finished like the, the, the season series against them and the, there's all these teams, but obviously there's some pretty good teams, some really good teams we, we haven't played at all. So um, you don't want to obviously get too far ahead because Minnesota's still a good team and, and we've had battles with them. We lost to them every game last year and we also don't kind of forget that either. So you got, got to go into that one first, obviously. But then, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be exciting. I think with the the level they're playing at, um, they're obviously playing at extremely high level. Steph is being Steph, um, what we all kind of know. And I mean, I think he's done it his whole career. I think they just didn't win as much last year or the last couple of years. But he was still being being the same player. A few injuries and stuff. But they. They're almost back to that team that, that obviously a few, like I said, uh, Clay's not there. And in terms of the protocol, you kind of wait and see on the day who's going to be there. But if you've got a team that, that Steph's, Steph's the head of the snake and Steph's playing, doesn't really matter who else is out there with him at, at certain times. So, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be exciting, I, I think, playing at home too um, for the first one against them. We, we get to obviously have a sold-out crowd. Um yeah, and we'll, we'll like I said, we'll see we'll see how we go, but we've we do have to get get through Minnesota first, and and then we'll worry about that. But bit like you said, being a back to back, it does come pretty fast. It's wake up, what is it? I mean, we play tomorrow, don't we? I think we mm-hmm. play tomorrow, so <laughs> play, play play Minnesota tomorrow, and then um, back it up against. I think they're the number one record in the, at the moment, or yeah. up there somewhere, one or two. So um, yeah, it'll be a good good challenge for our group the next two games. Yeah, ESPN has been building that uh, matchup with Minnesota, the rematch between Lehman and Ingles. So it's 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 it's, it's gonna it's gonna be a big deal for sure. You the know. funny thing is, I I probably won't even like I won't even go near in this whole game. Like not on purpose. <laughs> I'm saying it just like that's how the game is. Sometimes, sometimes you you guard someone for a whole game, and then the next time you don't even like remember they're on the court because you barely see them. So. I'm in Los Angeles right now because I'm here to cover the Rose Bowl for the uh, for the station, and I'm driving. Yeah, absolutely. Send me. I mean, I'm the bottom of the barrel. There's no question about that. Uh, I'm driving yesterday, and I got a lot of time to kill. Right, Uh, uh, the weather and uh, the traffic. The drive ends up being two, three hours long. So I'm looking for stuff to listen to, and I come across a podcast on Hoops Hype, and it has your name in the title. I'll listen to it. I mean, I got 45 minutes to burn. I got, you know, 10 45-minute time segments to burn. So I click it on, and they're talking about possibly trading Joe Ingles. 
And I'm screaming at the phone, no, no, this can't happen, man. I got my jersey for Christmas. I can't. There's no way I can deal with that. So I'm hopefully wondering they for can, you. Uh, hopefully they can refund them if they have to. <laughs> <laughs> you just roll with that at this point? Oh, man. I mean, it's – I mean, I've obviously – Probably, I mean, I haven't listened to things like that. I don't. I mean, that's the, the kind of least of my worries, obviously. But I mean, you get tag, like I said, you get tagged in all these things, and um, obviously, I'm I'm human. I, I open my phone and read Twitter or, or whatever um, social media or articles or whatever too, and not not a lot of them, but you, you obviously I've seen it quite a fair, quite a lot, and and, and quite a bit in the the summer or the, the off season or whatever it was. I, I remember waking up from my nap before the semifinal against team USA and was like, basically like from what I was looking at and the text I was getting, I was like, Holy moly, I'm gone. <laughs> I'm gone right now. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, it, it's obviously a tough one from my stand. Obviously at the end of the day, I'm very well aware of the business of, of that side of, of the game. And the end of the day, obviously for, for me and what I guess I've been able to, what is it, eight, eight years now, whatever. Um, I've been very open about wanting to finish here. Um, and I realize that I'm at the other end. So I know that's not like another 10 years. <laughs> I'm not trying to, trying to stay for that long. Um, but like I said, I obviously understand that the, the business side of it and, I do have a lot of obviously love for the jazz and the organization and the Millers and Dennis and Quinn for bringing me originally. And, um, if something was to happen, obviously that's the, the, what they assume is the, the best for the, the organization. So, um, if it does, I'd obviously be extremely disappointed, but it, it, it's life. And obviously the, the harder part for me is, is Renee and the kids and Jacob is, done so well in his school here obviously Miller has has two and Renee's very comfortable we're comfortable as a family living here um, but it, it kind of <laughs> I don't want to say it is what it is because it sounds like I don't care but um, from, from that it's obviously not my decision a lot of it um, if they decide they need to do something I would be happy for them if made them better if they thought they were getting better because like I said I do love this organisation and the city and we're all here for the same reason we're all here to try and win a championship and be the first team to do it if I can be a part of that great if I can be a piece that helps them do that then I would still feel pretty good about it I would be disappointed that I wasn't here for it but I would be I would be happy for a lot of people um, some very certain individuals I would be very happy for and the ones that trade me, I wouldn't be very happy for, but <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, uh, like I said, I think, I mean, they, they, they know how I feel about here, but that doesn't come into the conversations when you're talking about winning a championship. They're not saying, hey, we can't, we can't keep, trade Joe for Kevin Durant because Joe's family's happy. Like that's, <laughs> that's not coming into the conversation. So. Okay, I'll agree if it's Durant. You got me there. Well, there's obviously me too. I would, I would ship myself away. Um, but no, it, it is. I mean, it is what it is. It, it, stuff comes up every year. Uh, I've been lucky through seven and a half years to not really hear much at all. And um, obviously, I'm in a contract year. I'm the only player on our team in the kind of main rotation that's in a contract year. It's, uh, it's a very easy bait to throw out there. So 
like I said, we're, we're happy. We'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, for me, it's about playing and playing well and, and winning games, and um, I'll keep focused on that and laugh at some tweets every now and then and, and keep it moving. I read a uh, I read a I read a baseball a book by a baseball player, an autobiography, and you know, I had somebody help him write it. And he got traded, and he was recounting it. And he said the moment on the phone he was told he was traded, he said he wasn't mad. He was waiting to hear who the players were coming back. He's like, please let it be an all-star and a Hall of Famer. Please let it be an all-star and a Hall of Famer. Don't let it be a cow and three magic beans. Don't let it be a cow and three magic beans. Well, and I think a part of that too is you. You get a little nervous. You like you want to know where you're going, or if you know people there. Or, I mean, obviously for, for me right now, I'm in this unbelievable organization in terms of like what people don't even know off the court with how we get looked after. With like if people knew the day to day here, we have every players come here every year, and like there's no other team like this that do X, Y, A to Z of list of things of, of what they do for us off court and our families and our children and, and things like that. So it's like, obviously you want to you want to go to a good situation, but like I said, that's for, uh, I don't even know, Ryan, Danny and Justin Zanning to make those decisions. And I'll be putting the loop somewhere when I'm either, <laughs> when I'm either, when I'm either still here or I'm not. Um, and yeah, like I said, we'll see what happens. They, they know how I feel about being here, but it's, uh, it's out of my control. Joe, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining cool. us. Happy New Year. Good luck in these games, and we'll talk to you again in another week. Appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Joe Ingles, join us here on the Joe Ingles Show every week on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, we had Lincoln Kennedy on at 730. And Lincoln, football tough guy, lineman, 300-pound guy crashing into guys. Got pretty emotional. And we will tell you why next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. He covers Ohio State for The Athletic. Bill Landis. You know, there are people on the Michigan side questioning Ohio State's toughness. And, and one of their assistant coaches, I, I believe, said that Ohio State was, was kind of a soft, finesse team. And obviously that's never something you want to hear somebody say about your program. So I'm interested to see if there's carryover from that going into this Rose Bowl. Because we all know that, that Utah wants to play the same kind of way. They, they want to play a physical brand of football. And Ohio State just kind of got challenged a little bit by Michigan. And, you know, I guess that can go one of two ways. They can just kind of roll over and kind of end the season and not, not worry much about putting up a fight. But I would say there's some pride in the line for Ohio State, too, because I don't think they want to go out in a fashion where it's, you know, back-to-back games where you're getting pushed around like that. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. 9 a.m. Slacker Radio Headlines brought to you by Leeds Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call or visit leesheatac.com now to schedule a free in-home estimate or free second opinion. All the stuff we've been talking about during this show, we talked a little basketball, the Jazz roll again. They've won eight in a row on the road. They beat the Blazers. Rudy Gobert had 22 points, 14 boards, and Rudy Gay gave him 21 points off the bench, and the Jazz win 120 to 105. Coming home to face Minnesota tomorrow night and the Warriors on New Year's night. And that win was about as routine as it gets. The Blazers were missing half their team, two of their best three or four players. Jazz started 14-2 to in PK. They, yeah. It was clear 
<laughs> it was clear the pregame talk was, we're way taller than them. We get layups and dunks until they have five guys standing in the paint. And it's 14-2, to two, and there were five guys standing in the paint, at which point the Jazz started shooting three-pointers. Yeah, you look at that Portland roster, I think they have two starters on the roster and maybe only one legitimate rotation player in Nance, and then Nance had to move into the lineup other yeah. than that. There's a bunch of guys that you yeah, know, they did. they're under they, the circumstances. I mean, they they, they tried. i got to give them that. But they, yeah. they were so grossly undermanned. Yeah. They, show, they showed a stat uh, during the game about the Jazz bench scoring, at which point it was like 24 to 4 or something like that. The Jazz had an overwhelming advantage. I'm like, well, yeah, the, the whole Blazers bench is starting now. They're missing so many guys. The guys on the bench probably weren't on the team. Yeah, it's the sort of the world we live in. Yep. It's just amazing that the Jazz have not been um, hindered by that yet, and hopefully they won't be, and hopefully nobody will be, but, I mean, it's not the reality of the situation. But, you know, keep piling up these wins. You're staying, the thing that I like is you're staying within shouting distance, so to speak, of the Suns and Warriors. Right? You're, they know you're there. They haven't run away with it, neither team, Right. There's still plenty of time to overcome both of those teams. And even if you don't overcome them, be close. You know, like the Suns, what, they finish a game behind the Jazz last year? Right. So it, it sent a message, I think, to not to the rest of the league, but maybe to themselves, particularly in the case of Phoenix because they hadn't done anything. It sends a, case, a message to themselves, we're good. I don't know that Steph Curry needs to send a message to himself because obviously he is really good. Uh, but I think some uh, of the younger players on the team might need and that, maybe, and they certainly maybe. draw strength by looking over and going, well, we got Steph Curry. We're in good shape. And I think that with the Jazz here, winning games without Mitchell is a good sign. Winning games comfortably. Now, neither of these teams are all that good that they beat. But the fact is you've got players that – veteran guys that know two nights ago or two games ago it was Joe Ingles – doubling his scoring average uh, last night Rudy Gay and so you know you got somebody or somebody's if someone is out injured or protocol or having an off night you got other guys that can step up and that's good to know and it's really no surprise Joe Ingles goes for 17 somebody's like going, oh my gosh I didn't see that or Rudy Gay has a real uh, effective shooting night it's like oh my gosh no not really we we know Rudy Gay can do that any given game. And that, that, there's a sense of comfortability there that we've got guys from the management coaching perspective that can step in and do what we need them to do if somebody else is out. Warriors and Suns tied for the best record in the NBA. They're both 27-7. and seven. Jazz are two games back at 25-9 and nine within shouting distance, as you point out. And there's nothing fluky about that. You look at the point differential and... The Suns are plus seven and a half, and the Warriors and Jazz are plus ten. Nobody else in the West is plus three. The and, and the next team is the Warriors, or excuse me, is the Grizzlies. Uh, the Warriors, the Suns, and the Jazz have really pulled away from everybody. And we'll get to see the Jazz and the Warriors Saturday night. Uh, other stuff we have talked about: the Lakers lost again. They're two games under five hundred. LeBron, he can put this team together. He's not taking that much heat for the fact it's not performing that well. They're apologizing to him. We don't have a good enough team around you. LeBron had a little bit of say in that, which Ooh, is another way of saying he had a lot LeBron? of say. Nobody <laughs> criticizes LeBron and, and even lives, let alone gets away with it. The Lakers are 17-19. and 19. They're two games under 500. LeBron went for 37 points on the night before his 37th birthday, and they lost to the Grizzlies 104-99. 
ball hog. <laughs> Have you seen that roster? I want him to hog the ball. <laughs> yeah, what he's doing is phenomenal at his age. Utah State lost to Air Force in their conference opener, 49-47. Man, 20 years of Air Force basketball, nothing changes. First one to 50 wins. If nobody gets to 50, well, we'll have a winner and go home anyway. Yeah, they really plotted up. Utah plays Oregon State on the Pac-12 Networks tonight, 7 o'clock. Oregon State is 2-10. They are 0-2 in conference. A great opportunity for the Utes to pick up a road win. The Utes are 8-4, and and they are 1-1 in conference, so... Big game for them tonight. BYU beat Westminster 65-57. to Weird game. A lot of starters had problems scoring. But Gideon George came off the bench with 17 points, so BYU beat Westminster. And how Gideon George is not starting, I just don't understand. <laughs> okay. Save that. Uh, Oregon looked bad in the Alamo Bowl. The final score was 47-32. It was worse than that. They were down 30-3 at halftime. They got outscored 24-0 in the second quarter. New coaching staff, hit and reset, cannot come fast enough for the Ducks, who have now lost three of the last four games. And that is unacceptable in Eugene. But nevertheless, I find it beautiful in Salt Lake City and then here in Los Angeles right now. And I'm going to have a little bit of a, of a nostalgic walk down memory lane today if I go to Utah practice. Because? They're practicing at Harbor College. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Back in the day covering junior college football. I, John White went there. Uh, I think he played there. And Harbor College, I covered them 30 years ago, and my gosh, they sucked. <laughs> there was two, two juice JCs in the South Bay, El Camino, which is really good, and they have a legitimate stadium. I mean, it's a really nice facility, especially for a junior college. And then Harbor College, which was a bad high school facility. And I was always low man on the totem pole, so I got Harbor College. And I actually had lived, I had a little townhouse not more than two miles away from the campus. Uh, so I just, they sent out a thing this morning, the routine, the, the agenda, and I just looked at it during the break. And they will be practicing at Harbor College today. So I will go down and walk the halls with my fellow Seahawks. That was their nickname. All right, PK's in Los Angeles for the Rose Bowl, and uh, Unrivaled will be there this afternoon as well, broadcasting live from Southern California. Right now, Rick the Dishwasher, getting ready for a trip to Pasadena in the Rose Bowl. Rick, how excited are you? I'm a little worried driving down that there's going to be like an outbreak. Cancel the game. Stay positive. Yeah, don't talk about that. No, 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 no. Stay negative. Oh, good point. Well played. <laughs> well played. <laughs> so, Joe, Joe Ingles such a good guy, and he probably is the glue on the team, and he is an ingredient on a playoff team, without a doubt. But not for this team, because you cannot have him and Bogey on the court together in the playoffs not just because they're slow and not that good, they're not good defensively, but when those defensive teams turn it up, you can render Joe kind of useless. So, so you can't have them both. I still think something like Dylan Brooks or that Bang guy, we need a two-way player who plays defense. 
Yeah, you know, I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, Memphis is not trading you a good young player for a guy in his mid-30s. They're not doing it. Uh, but they do need a shooter, but you're right. It's somebody who's – it's an ingredient somebody needs, probably a better team. But that's the type of player. We need an athlete like a David Benoit or a Blue Edwards to go along with uh, Mitchell so we can have some kind of transition game. And uh, because our offense is as close to perfection as this that sports scene. But why do we – I mean, those two games against the Clippers – I've never seen such a pathetic defense. I mean, they were getting run around in circles. And Joe isn't just slow now. He's old. He has to think about moving his legs. I mean, there could be a loose ball two feet in front of him, and he's got to send a message to his brain, move legs, get ball. And every person gets that way when they get old. No, I mean, the reality is Bogey could get us a better person maybe. It'd have to be a three-way deal because we need a small forward. Athletic. We got Royce as our defender at two. But we're just, I mean, if you outscore teams by 18 to 30 from the three-point line and you can lose games, that means you are the slowest team in the NBA. You don't get turnovers. You commit a lot of turnovers. So you do have one glaring weakness, which is athleticism. And, uh, I mean, a team like Minnesota, they're young kids. They don't know what good offense is, but they beat us because they just turn it up athletically. I mean, if you're looking at Joe Ingles in front of your bogey, every single player in the league says, I can blow right by this guy. Now, because they're perfection on offense, they can be a plus player. But against playoff defenses, it becomes a little bit of a liability. Rick, we're going to have to run. We appreciate the call. I was promised Rose Bowl talk. We're going to talk to our call screener about that. All right, thanks. Thanks, Rick. Well, DJ, I mean, this is my life at 3 a.m. each day. Have to go wee-wee, move legs, get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rick's a a one-of-a-kind. I got to admit, I was hoping for a little Rose Bowl talk out of him. All we got is the, the game's going to be canceled. Now back to the Jazz. I mean, come on, right? I want to talk about the Rose Bowl. I'm going to the game. Okay. Got hungry. Here. Have lunch. <laughs> well, I have that all the time. <laughs> I'm hungry. Move legs. Get next meal. Problem is I'm doing it six times a day. That's the problem. Grass lawn. Cut yard. I mean, we can have we have a field day with this. When we come back, your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Whether it's double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, cherry barcia, or salted caramel, enjoy a Bilt Bar. 100% real chocolate, 100% real delicious. Order yours today at Bilt.com and save 10% off your order using the promo code ZONE at checkout. That's Bilt Bar. Feedback we're getting today. Lots of topics. We had Joe on the air, and of course there was a story this week that the Jazz were really close to trading him over the summer, and then the deal didn't happen. Uh, one story I read said uh, Quinn Snyder was a, a big part of keeping Joe in Utah. So Joe was reflecting on that and told us earlier in the show that uh, when he was at the Olympics looking at his phone, he thought, well, I'm gone. I'm, I'm gone right now. If you missed the interview with Joe, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, 
Apple, whatever, it's everywhere. So go go grab it. Uh, Just put DJ going forward. Here's your message. Wherever you get your podcasts, that's where you find it. Do it, yeah. and you can listen to Joe talk about uh, what he thought as everything was happening in real time in well, the I'll summer. I'll tell you right now, Joe goes, I go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Joe, a different Joe, Joe Trump at Trump Joe, says, uh, trade Joe, Danny. Joe Ingles needs to go back to Australia, Joe says. Okay. What? Uh, there's always a hater, PK. It's probably a Laker fan. Hey, Joe, shut up. <laughs> Come on. Uh, we got a lot of people weighing in uh, on our question today about Oregon and how bad is Oregon right now. And uh, Devin, who loves his ducks, says Oregon was missing 30 scholarship players. The head coach bailed on him. They had a glorified backup QB. They did still win 10 games, win the North. He referred to that as a miracle, which then had you listing all sorts of miracles. Uh, but they were down 30-3 to at halftime to Oklahoma. One point per scholarship player missing, apparently. Right? Michael says, how unprepared has Oregon been with a coaching staff looking past the players to Miami? And uh, Jason says 100%. And the Utes took advantage of it. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Come on. Jeff says they're mediocre on a national stake scale, but they're great in the Pac-12. Well, they weren't great against Stanford if it's the bottom of the Pac-12. As Donald points out, they were bad enough to lose to a team like Stanford. Yeah, and I don't want to. And and you brought in that glorified backup quarterback and chose to start him. That's your own friggin' fault. Willie says I've turned the thought that clearly Oregon uh, wasn't as good as we all thought just by the fact Utah destroyed him twice in three weeks. To get it blown up the first time was a good game. The second time shows they were overrated. Uh, I agree, but let's not uh, underestimate. Maybe Utah was better than we thought. Willie says, if Utah beats Ohio State, I'll be more than ready to eat my words. But if they get blown up, it's going to prove my theory. BYU ran through the Pac-12, and BYU got beat by UAB. What's your theory? Well, his theory is the Pac-12 isn't any good, and BYU was... Yeah, Utah and BYU beat a lot of Pac-12 teams, but when BYU went to play UAB, they got beat, and when Utah goes to play Ohio State, they'll get beat. So Utah isn't any good. Is that what we're saying? Uh, this guy's saying Utah and BYU aren't any good. <laughs> He's dumping on both of them. Well, then who's good? Alabama. <laughs> I, mean, that's, okay. I mean, that is the way it works. You know, if you're, if you're, like you're in a 10-team league and everything breaks right, you know, and the champ is 10-0 and and the next team is 9-1 and and the next team is 8-2, and well, the worst team beat the team that didn't win any and the next team only beat those two and the next. So you're right. My head's spinning. Yeah, you can, you, you can talk your way into everybody's bad. Great. We all suck on three. <laughs> you know, I did ask Steve Clowkey that once, and I can't remember what prompted it, but it was you know how sports is changing kind of topic or something. And I think we were sitting at a jazz game killing time years ago. And, and this has to be at least 10 years ago. I'm like, Steve, in the time you've been doing this, what's the biggest change? And he looked at me, didn't miss a beat. He goes, everybody sucks. Used to be teams won games. He says, now teams just suck and lose them. And he was dead serious that that's that take in sports. Oh, well, this team just screwed up that game. It's like it used to be, hey, Team A won the game. And now it's like, Team B blows. How did they mess that up? 
He was he was a hundred percent serious. Well, then I guess everybody sucks. Then what, what, can I, what, what, what can I say? Now Ron has a different theory. He says Utah broke Oregon like a cheap Christmas toy. Sorry, Ducks. You know you think you're really good, and then you suffer that loss, and you never really bounce back from it. I think we have seen that story with teams before. Well, I think what we see is the team that loses in the Pac-12 title game always loses the bowl game. Literally. We've definitely seen that. Yep. So there's something to that. You know, at the time, the Ducks only had one loss, right? And they were ranked third? Uh, the first loss to Utah? Or, or, am I right? They, I think I'm... I'm they were either right third there. or fourth, yeah. yeah. But to your point, yes. Yeah. They had one loss, Stanford, and they had the awesome win at Ohio State. And, and that they, they rode that for a long time. Well, they rode it until they played the Utes. Well, to this day, they still have the best win in the conference. Beating Ohio State, yeah. Yeah, and I think they had Verdell at the time, and uh, you know he's a great running back and got hurt. I think he got hurt. But after. their running back hasn't been their problem. They got more running backs. And he is, he's the guy. I mean, uh, Travis Dye ran for 153 yards in a game last night on 18 carries. So th- their problem was their defense gave up points on eight straight drives. You can't give up 47 points and 560 yards and force two punts, one at the start of the game and one at the end, and force zero turnovers and think you're going to win. No, but screw them. (laughs) It's about Utah winning the conference and going to the Rose Bowl. All right, more on the Rose Bowl coming up tomorrow morning. PK is in L.A. Unrivaled is in L.A. So afternoon drive on your way home today. You'll hear the guys uh, from L.A. getting ready for the Rose Bowl. Jake and Ben are coming up next right here on the Zone Sports Network.